Welcome to Spotlight, the official podcast of Grapple. I'm Beto. And I'm JP. And with us as well is Grapple Gareth. Hi, Gareth. Hi, you alright? I thought you were going to jump in then, mate. I thought we were at that point in our relationship. I was watching you on cam waiting for it. Do I need, do I need to start doing that? I don't know. Steph jumped in, so, you know, I feel like uh, <laughs> you, part, you can do it now. Officially part I'm of the podcast, surprised. I reckon. <laughs> he can say what he wants, he owns it. And he owns us by default, so... That's very true, yeah. How, how are you, Lord Saviour? <laughs> fuck off, cut the shit off. Yeah. I'll stop calling you the boss, maybe the king hey. of grapple. King of grapple, Gareth, grapple, Gareth. I mean, you know, when you turn up on the show, the numbers go up a little bit, you know. The statistical Around king this... is on. you got fans out there, if, Gareth. If, if, if you're going to start calling me the king, I want, like, carriage into this room, this podcasting room like King Haku at WrestleMania 5 I want, I want I want to be up on a throne with you two holding a pole either side and uh, bringing, me a, bring, bringing me into you and putting my headphones on me and everything like that I think. Well you got a little helper there though so. I was going to say just as you were saying that uh, your daughter walked in and did a loser sign behind your head as well yeah. which is very very harsh. More accurate probably. <laughs> I'm surprised we haven't had a run-in from the lads yet, JP. I feel like that's uh, that's something coming. <laughs> They're teenagers. <laughs> they did when I was on a work Teams call and the head was on it mm. and one of them reached across to grab his phone in his pants during lockdown. <laughs> and that had happened on screen. And I went, great. And he didn't care because they just, like I've said many times, a couple of blokes and... <laughs> Like the eldest one in particular, his sense of humour is getting, it's got, we're getting very dark now at this point. Oh, mate, I've seen it's his fancy football name. Oh, mm. The pair of us bring shame on my father's name. <laughs> we, we really do. What was um, this one? You're Zoom Hoffenheim and he's, what is it, something Maddie? Finding Maddie or something like that? Kissing Maddie. <laughs> um, You're teaching the lads well, JP. <laughs> Oh, it's bad. It's bad. Like, uh, the problem is, I, I linked it to us. I showed them the Peter Geddon episode from Brass Eye when they were like 13 and 11. Mm. And that might have been it because they're quite big Chris Morris fans at this stage. Um, like, they've kind of absorbed all of that stuff. We're trying the thick of it now, but they don't quite understand the politics stuff. But yeah. they find the swearing absolutely top notch. <laughs> Completely love it. <laughs> Including a couple of lines I can't genuinely say on this show because it's really offensive. Tips there for the future for you, Gareth. Yep. Yeah, it's not no. all frozen, mate. You'll move past it soon enough. No, no, he's just he's just obsessed with the it's all Red 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 Dead Redemption and GTA and all that business now, which you know just uh, getting uh, his, his his ten going on fifteen or something like that. Probably a bit early to be letting him have these, but when all his mates are, you don't want to be that dad, do you? Yeah, that, well, I was like, I've said that on the podcast before, but I've got a, a brother who's much younger than me, and when he was like six. He used to play. I used to play GTA San Andreas downstairs, and he'd play with me just so he could like. He just liked driving the cars. That's all it was. He didn't know any of the other me- mechanism. But as he got older, he started figuring out. Oh, there's guns in this game. Oh, I can run people over. Oh, that's cool. And then slowly, you've lost them to a to a life of being an incel. Um, ah, all the kids are doing it now. It's fine. It's not like when we were kids. I, I honestly think Red Dead Redemption's okay. 
like GTA yeah. is really anarchic, but Red Dead Redemption is a lot more kind of mannered mm. and like, yeah, you can behave like an absolute prick if you want. And I have done many times in that game, but at the same time, it kind of, it's less grief. It's like GTA, isn't it? If you're mm. being completely anarchic all of the time. Mm. Like I used to have to find that quick sharpish if one of my lads walked in the room during GTA, I just had to start driving around. I was <laughs> like, oh, shit, like get out of here. Um, and those are like San Andreas days. Yeah. I'm still annoyed at the eldest one for breaking my copy of Brian Lara's cricket when he was a child, like Brian Lara's 2005 left him for a second. He worked, he rolled over to the PlayStation 2, I want to say. I didn't know, to PlayStation, he just ejected the disc and scratched it. And I'd gone to the toilet. And 15 years later, you're holding this against him. Fucking right, I am. Uh, Still bear about it, mate. See, when when we were kids, or at least when I was a kid, like, it was cool that, like, Mortal Kombat had some blood in it when I was 12. That was, like, that was the extent of it, really. Well, this is literally my job for a living teaching this stuff and talking about it it's yeah it gets bad like if you see the really bad aspects of games but games are i don't know so they're kind of in a good place mm. they're a lot better now and a lot more interesting so gareth you, sh- you should get on in on this red dead redemption you'd love it it is oh, I've, does I've, feel like I've, a hbo I've, novel oh, sorry i've, seen, I've seen it all it's like it's um oh, i mean it's it, it's awesome but it's like because it's his obsession it's like comes running into the room laughing like on a two minute loop showing me the latest like screen record that he's just done of Red Dead or something like that. Watch how this bloke died or watch how like this happened or look at this bit of the story and I'm like, all right, like come on, like give it a rest. Like literally all I hear is Arthur Morgan. It's like I've just heard <laughs> Arthur Morgan's name like seven thousand times in the last three months or something like that. And I'm like, all right, chill out like now. <laughs> okay. You don't need like total obsession. Has he set fire to the clan yet? Oh, he's clocked it all. He's done. Oh. He's done like everything, pretty much on it. So then, so um, yeah, yeah. He's uh, yeah. He's he's more educated than he was when he left school at the start of the pandemic. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> he's learned about real life. Uh, he has. So oh, he- it's just like a, a big realization, though. Like that, my nephew. He's coming to Liverpool this Thursday to start uni. Mm. So I'm like helping him. I said I'd help him move into his halls and. Um, and then when I looked at the address today, I realised his halls was like my old student union, which has been like knocked to the ground and turned into some flats now. And then I was looking and realising it's like 24 years since I was doing the same thing that he's doing, you know, coming to uni for the first time. And I've just like, I've just been depressed all day thinking about all those good times I had, like pissed in that student union. And then like, and now it's just been levels just to build flats on for these fuckers to come and enjoy themselves 24 years later, making me feel as old as sin. I was just like, so I'm in a bit of a downer about the whole, uh, the whole time, time lapse at the moment. Tell me about it, mate. It's like uh, I saw the other day. It was uh, the twenty twenty four year anniversary of no twenty three year anniversary of Tupac dying. He was only alive for twenty four years. That's how long. That's how long ago that was. Or like it was nine eleven on Friday, wasn't it? Like that was fucking nineteen years ago. Which like in wrestling terms is no time because I think that's about the same amount of time Randy Orton's been wrestling for the WWE. But fuck me, <laughs> that's a it's an entire lifetime ago. Jesus Christ. When you say it like that, it does make me feel like I'm moving very close, much closer to death. Wait, wait, you're on 9-11, JP, do you remember? Well, that's a question. Right. I don't know about you. If I ask either of you two, did you have the day off? Because that's what loads of people say to me. I had the day off. I was in sixth form. I was... Oh, right. Okay. I was at work 
um, someone told me in the smoking area, my immediate reaction was, fuck off. Like, I thought he was taking the piss. And then I went upstairs, and it was like the internet, which was, you know, ropey in 2001. Mm. It was like absolutely, um, like it was, it was just weird. And then London kind of went into a mini sort of lockdown as well around that time. Mm. And I lived close by when seven, seven happened as well. Like that was yeah, all a bit eerie, but yeah, I was there, um, went to the pub afterwards, watched the news, Arsenal playing that night, I get away in Mallorca and I canceled loads of games. And I was pissed off because Ashley Cole got sent off after 10 minutes. We lost one nil. <laughs> uh, like, like, and I'm not minimising the impact of 9-11 and the events that have followed since. It just felt Finish like a little, sentence, uh, a, little, a little added one there. It was completely unnecessary. And again, I've, I have made light of it, but 19 years ago. Um, Look, a, lot yeah. of, a lot of water under the bridge, Sapi. To be honest, when I was like... <laughs> When I, when I was when, when I was in sixth form at the time, sorted. <laughs> it's all been sorted now. Wow, it's ancient history. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, when I was um, in sixth form and I found out about that, the prop I was like one of those because I was listening to loads of like alternative political rap and stuff, and I was the one going to wait. See, they got what they deserved, America. I'm like, I'm surprised that I never found myself on like a terror watch list. To be honest, considering how. <laughs> A few hours later, once I'd actually seen the footage, and I was like, okay, this is terrible. I should shut up now. <laughs> Don't mind, I'll have memories anyway. Yeah, cheering in the streets. No, it wasn't really. <laughs> You're in sixth form. It's edgelord territory. That's exactly it? what it was, yeah. Who gets to that joke first is, is mm. what it was. <laughs> Any 9-11 memories, Gareth? <laughs> I was going to say, Matt, well, my Sadie obviously made an appearance there. And like a couple of years ago, we were in New York and we were there at the, like where they've got the memorial now, where the two towers were. Yeah, and they've got that, like, that like waterfall kind mm. of thing that goes down to the hole and everyone's all there, like standing around all somber and, you know, obviously paying their respects and all that. And then she just lashed a crisp packet in the fucking middle of the, um, <laughs> in the middle of the memorial, which she was about two or something like that at the time, so she didn't know what she was doing. Like, but it was just like, oh, like parental shame kind of thing. Like the whole, like, everyone's looking at us. So I was just like, oh, and you've got to like overly shout at her kind of thing to like, really yeah. Not, it's, it's not appropriate. It's not the way we think, kind of thing. So she is putting on some fucking well, terrible. She is speaking by proxy what you really thought, isn't it? Let's be honest. Oh, that's fucking devastating. She just externalised your like kind of callous attitude, maybe, Gareth. I don't know. Uh, it's a good job we don't have that many American listeners, is it? It's a good job we chased all them off early days. <laughs> fucking hell. Well, <laughs> happier news. Ten days earlier that year was the same day that. England beat Germany 5-1 and the Republic of Ireland beat Holland 1-0 and that was a great day and again it's a false equivalency comparing the two but I just want to remind people that was a cracking day yeah (laughs) so the good things happened in September in 2001 as well that's the point you make yeah Oh, what about the other thirty days? Sorry, well, well, actually, a lot of them were shit as well. I'm sorry. I don't know what's happened to this podcast no, since it. Gareth joined us last week. Maddie McCann jokes this week. Nine eleven. Fuck knows what's coming next week. <laughs> it's because you've got two forty-year-old men on on here now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What I will say is, people are very happy to forget things like slavery and the rest of it, but never forget nine eleven. It's like okay, let's hold hold all tragedies to the same standard. Maybe that remark will save me. 
<laughs> from the previous like, like 10 minutes of bollocks just remember that bit there you go good good, good lesson yeah. there for uh, for twitter in general as well but um, shall we move it on i think this conversation started jp with us talking about your son's fancy football uh, name i've mm. got to got to mention the league i know there'll be people who aren't interested who can skip ahead but very quickly we uh, we did launch our our grapple league last week got a, almost 150 people in so obviously there's a, a good crossover there of uh, of 40 fans in there i saw martin uh, bushby throw a team in with some uh, some help from his uh, his work colleagues and uh, quite a few of our listeners as well. And Saturday night, JP, you were sat on top. I don't think you're quite there anymore uh, after Sunday and uh, and today. But hey, mate, it was looking. Good. It's like when the because uh, we're going to talk about the G1 Pickums lately later. I'm pretty sure like two years in a row you were top for like a day. Uh, that's kind of what you do. You start <laughs> you start really yeah. well and then <laughs> it doesn't always continue. Oh, mate, that year halfway, I was on a beach in Turkey. Just got a piece of piss this. And again, ruminating the same thing. Although uni better have come in, haven't they, with odds oh, for G1 that, that I want to talk about later yes. on. Yes. Um, but like, yeah, for, I was I was kind of there and thereabouts for half of it and then I fell off a cliff. I'm mm. trying to think of like kind of Arsenal collapses in years, but it was more kind of dramatic than that, if anything else. Um, yeah, so it won't last. It was a good week. At the minute, time of recording, I had Connor Cody tonight, so... But also had Ender Stevens. I'm on 84 points for the week, which I'll take that. Get oh, that every week. Not doing too bad. What about yourselves? See, that's it. You've, you've put the research in, JP. I feel like, you know what, we joke about it. It might be your year, this. Uh, yeah, I had a good I had a good week in the proper league. I'm not going to talk about the draft, Gareth, because fuck you. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> Gareth has wiped the floor with me in the draft league that uh, he graciously invited me to. It. But in the proper <laughs> league, a captain Salah, as I advised everyone to do. Ignore the FPL yeah. experts out there, everyone who everyone was like, people were literally like Captain Aubameyang and JP, like as an Arsenal fan, come on, you're not relying on an Arsenal player. I don't care who he is a player, like, and even Aubameyang. The thing about him is he's like he'll score, but will he assist? Will he get bonus points? I quite, I feel felt quite proud that uh, my very simple advice that you know genius advice, Captain Mo Salah at a home game against Leeds uh, turned out to actually be uh, the right advice and uh, anyone who did it did well so yeah I've done well I think I'm on 75 points right now uh, so I'll take it uh, not quite not quite on your level JP but I'm in the in the top half of the table but yeah I would say uh, as far as the draft league goes uh, the less said about that the better Gareth has uh, well and truly had me off in that one yeah, like you say, though it's a it's a proper one that counts, isn't it? It's the and that's the one where uh, you know I'll, I'll be humble and I've, I think I'm only I think I'm fifty or sixty here kind of thing, but it's not one and lost on day one, is it? Really, it's yeah. a, it's, a, it's a, the, the old Mo Salah captaincy came in to save my save my neck there, but yeah, I mean that draft one, it, it, it doesn't matter at all, Benno, does it? Really, I mean, you know, when you when you you're playing me one on one and getting absolutely uh, smashed, you know, like, oh, it just doesn't it doesn't matter. It's not proper. I fucking we. We did it on Thursday. I don't know if you've ever played the draft version, JP. I assume not. But it's more like what they do with like the American football fantasy drafts where everyone's oh, got yeah. like one copy of each player. And Gareth sent me like a message just laughing at me for for drafting Gilfie Sigurdsson. Um, I panicked. I, I, I had a bad run. I, I basically like round six. I know. <laughs> I just I ran out of time and I was like, I need a midfielder. I just grabbed one and like. My, my tactic was to get Aguero and a whole load of United players when no one else wants them, and then I'll have them for game week two, and I'll throw game week one, thinking I was going to play a stranger, and I played Gareth instead, and I just got the piss ripped out of me, JP. So, yeah, I didn't really, uh, didn't think that one through. It's this is where his nastiness comes through. 
I think when we're talking about when we're talking about this draft, I I, I was worried about it. Like, I thought, yeah, you two are very experienced at this, and mm. it's a young man's game. And trust me, I'll you know there'll be some folly in there, Michael Antonio, whatever, or I'll decide to pick an Irishman, and it'll go wrong. That's normally what happens. So yeah, it's marathon, not a sprint stuff, but it's an impressive amount of people that are playing it. Oh, it's crazy. I mean, have you got any any tips for game week two? Um, I mean, before that, just to say, like top of the league right now is, yeah. uh, is Mike Hansen. I don't, I don't think I know him. Fifty Shades of Zara O'Shea. Okay, he's number one. I'm good with that. Actually, I don't even know who's last. I'm just gonna have a quick look now. Um, this will update overnight though, so it might not be the accurate in the morning. There's somebody with five points, so they're probably gonna continue to be last. Tom Griffiths, congratulations. <laughs> oh, poor Stephen Louch is, uh, is there from bottom of uh, a time of recording as well. Uh, at least he's joined in. It's the taking part that counts. Um, yeah, the lad who's bottoms, Captain De Bruyne, who did not play this weekend. So that's probably a good tip for everyone. If uh, you're going to captain someone, maybe captain someone who's playing. Uh, we, enjoy, we, we appreciate you all joining. Well, um, Andy Ogden's played a stormer tonight. He's on 83 points. Oh, there you go. He had Saiz and Jimenez playing tonight. And he had Gabriel and Salah as vice-captain. And Werner as as captain. Sorry, I've just read out his fantasy league too. It's like fucking cracked this thing. Oh, it is addictive. I and mean, we will get it. I mean, this is the perfect week for me. Like, FPL launched. The G1 Pickums have launched. I can throw some G1 bets on. Like, this is this is like my perfect weekend, to be honest. I'm in uh, in nerd heaven. Um, but yeah, I was going to say, TJP, if you need tips for, uh, for next week, I would say don't wildcard. The panic. There'll be people who panic on wildcard this week. And try and bring in like the United and City players. Take your time, mate. You'll be okay. Give it a couple of weeks. Maybe I'm, I'm good. I'm probably going to dump a Barmyang and get a maybe get a De Bruyne in or, or get another City player in. But yeah, there. Wait, we just wait. Just play, let things play out. Don't panic, everyone. No, no uh, don't be signing someone just because they got ten points this week. Next week's another game week. Is uh, is my advice. You're jumping a Bamiang at home to West Ham. Interesting. No, the week after, yes. week after, he's staying for one more week. <laughs> then he's gone. Because I, honestly, I just don't trust Arsenal players. No offense, JP. And I don't. I don't usually say that about Everton as well. But actually, we weren't that bad this week. So uh, oh. I'll save that. Oh, you're going to win the league, aren't you? <laughs> we won one nil against Tottenham. So yeah, it's all over now. Mate. Yeah, so we've got a got a world class midfield there, you know. You're, well, you're right. right. You're writing off Arsenal very, very easily there. Just don't trust I'll, I'll say. Under Mikel Arteta, who you know love, just as well. Love my yeah? Arteta. He looks serious. What I would say about, yeah, Bamiyang at West Ham, but I've got Fernandez coming into the team. So I've got to drop a striker. Mm-hmm. And I've got Wilson, Ings and Antonio. So, yeah, because I've got to play three defenders. <laughs> Can't go 1950s football. <laughs> which, was, which was shit, by the way. <laughs> Can't argue. <laughs> Football got good in the seventies, and I will not accept an argument that tells me otherwise. Look hey, at you, Pep. Hey, it's the same thing as wrestling, isn't it? You know, uh, yeah. But that, that, that'll be Melter's argument. A five star in the eighties doesn't uh, isn't as good as a five star now. Um, I don't. Know, I don't want to set everyone off though on the comparing the five stars he gave. Like I saw some some of them this week where apparently he's given more four star plus matches to it's either Mick or, uh, Matt or Nick Jackson one of the two of them has got more four star plus matches than anybody in wrestling history so yeah there might be um, there might be some bias there for a big day you know when you've got the, one of the Jacksons beaten by Masawa Kenta Kabashi 
you know, <laughs> even a Daniel Bryan, you know, any, fuck me. I mean, yeah, I like the young bucks, but not that much. Oh, it says a lot about the kind of, I suppose part of the issue is, isn't it? It's, it's just that when he broke the scale, he fucked it for himself. He just had to, he could have just said five stars and that's it. But this one's a really good five star match. Mm. Like kind of, that's all he had to do. Then he broke the scale and everything's gone to shit. Then he do you want to do, do, else... do that now? Do you want to talk about wrestling scales for the next two hours? Because I will. <laughs> oh, we will. <laughs> uh, how many requests you get a day, Gareth, from people saying, can, can we get six and seven stars, please? <laughs> oh, yeah, and notes on minus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we won't start you on the notes. <laughs> It's a whole um, thing. They were like, "I'll sit there and like, re- I'll, I'll I'll recalibrate Meltzer's scores." But now that he's gone to seven, I'm like, "Okay, well, a grapple five's worth, you know, three point something to Meltzer kind of thing." So when mm. you get all these biased Meltzer arguments, scar, I won't start. Don't start. <laughs> that is that is when I know I've gone too high though. Like if we do a podcast and I'm like a little like a half star or a star above views, so I'll think oh, I can live with that. That's just difference of opinion. But when I read the Observer on Friday and if Meltzer's ratings are the same as mine, it's like, "Yep, I've gone off the reservation here." Like. <laughs> You need to be yeah. like a star away, I think, to, to be a reasonable human being at this point. Well, I'm planning on doing that is just sitting down and like like looking at his ratings and just sticking them in for like WWE and New Japan and AEW and just kind of, I just kind of want to see conclusively how much more he is biased to certain people or certain things. But, you know, there's only, it's only so many hours in the day, isn't it? So we're not, we're not going to sponsor Dave Meltzer to join Grapple, no? We're not going to uh, get him on the app? No, we're going to sully my app. <laughs> Spoken like a true Eric is... Bischoff fan. I now need to set up a Dave Meltzer account. <laughs> on Grapple for this now. See, now we've said it, someone's going to do that. Someone's just yeah. going to sign up as Dave Meltzer. You have to get your uh, your finger on the ban button there, Gareth. <laughs> that Juno email address. <laughs> <laughs> That's when you know it's him. If it's hsmeltzer at juno.com, it, it's the real thing. Yeah. Uh, well, on that note, I suppose we were. But I mean, I'll, I'll I'll rip the format. So we were going to talk AEW first, but do you want to talk New Japan first while we're in the mood with uh, with star ratings and uh, and fantasy lineups and that? Like, it is the big news, really. Uh, yeah, let's start with that. Uh, yeah, the, the big news this week is the uh, the lineup. Uh, the there's betting lines, as JP said, uh, out there. There's pickums both from Post and uh, and Voices of Wrestling. There's uh, some interesting stats out there as well. There's uh, yeah, it's always a fun time when the uh, when the G1 comes around and yeah, this uh, this year's no different. See, feels a bit lopsided that uh, that A block is uh, quite a bit heavier than the uh, the B block when it comes to a uh, potential dream not dream matches but potential you know great matches that you expect from a G1. B block's probably the uh, the LIG sto- LIJ story block uh, is probably fair to say as well. But yeah, that a uh, that A block is especially stacked. I mean, yeah, you've got a block with Kota Ibushi, Okada, Ishii, Shingo. Less said about Yujiro the better, but Taichi, Minoru Suzuki, Jeff Cobb, Will Ospreay, Jay White. I mean. We could probably mention the Osprey thing. I think if anyone at this point is surprised, he's uh, in the tournament. You've probably, unfortunately, not been paying much attention. I think it was probably 
unrealistic to expect uh, anything from from New Japan on that story with the with the limited new information that was out there on Osprey. Um, you know, obviously there is. We can all look at that uh, that IWL story and you know the idea that somebody contacted the venue on Osprey's behalf, and we can all decide that means that that Osprey uh, Blackball Pollyanna. But I think if anyone expected a Japanese wrestling company to act upon that when there really isn't any other new information, I don't know. Uh, unfortunately, I just don't think that was happening. And you are seeing a lot of that out there. People saying they're going to boycott Osprey's matches or like a senior Lariato saying he's not going to gift them. But to be honest, I think most people are going to be watching this. Uh, I think most people are going to be watching because to be honest, Osprey's matches are probably going to be the, the matches that uh, they get most talked about on the days. And that might not sit well with uh, with everyone, but it probably is going to be the fact going forward. But yeah, um, that was probably a story. But I think the... Uh, the US guys in general being announced, you know, that A block I mentioned there, Jay White being there, being in there as well as Osprey, Jeff Cobb coming back as well. Um, it definitely, you know, if you take that that story aside, the the whole, you know, we were worried, weren't we, about a, a G1 that would look like the New Japan Cup earlier in the year. Uh, and yeah, New Japan have pulled a bit of a rabbit out the hat in, uh, in getting some US names over on the uh, the B block. Zack Sabre Jr. Uh, was obviously already based over there, but Juice Robinson joins him. Kenta uh, is over as well. Uh, yeah, it does does make this lineup uh, a whole lot more appealing and yeah uh, i don't know what are you guys thoughts on the uh, on the lineup so far and the uh, the a block uh, as opposed to the b block uh, are you excited for those uh, exciting uh, lij matches in the b block jp or are you uh, are you, mm. you're looking for your dream matches with uh with uh, you know evil and sonata which it feels like uh, that's a match on the last day when we go to the schedule that we might be heading towards uh yeah it's very uh, very much lopsided in the a, a blocks uh, direction i would say and yeah um uh, mm definitely made more interesting by the uh, the inclusion of the uh, the international wrestlers i think they're probably uh, the biggest two talking points yeah uh, what i would say about that sort of bringing back in the um the gaijin wrestlers is it shows how dependent new japan are on gaijins totally. compared certainly to any other japanese company um i'll talk at the end about sort of champion carnival and that there there is it's entirely sort of native um uh, line up there in terms of the two blocks, there is, in terms of individual matches, that A block, yeah, it, it stands out. It feels to me like B block is the story block. Yeah. It's Bullet Club, it's LIJ, that's what's going to be there. Probably a, a, a sort of ton of bullshit finishes. Um, whereas the A block, you've got the potential of some stuff. Although, I do think it's going to be hurt by what the crowd can actually do in terms of their responses. True. So. I'm more measured in the expectation of absolute dream matches because I'm just thinking COVID era wrestling for me, a lot of it has had like a kind of a four still four star limit here. We've got some crowd in. I haven't seen anything from the previous new Japan shows. And you kind of think has everyone hopefully been kind of saving themselves for this mm. because this is where we, this is where you kind of need to do it. And it's, something I think they badly need because it gives them a chance to reset storylines. They've got through the summer period and they get a chance to kind of set up what is a ton of, depending on your level and like a ton of storylines, if nothing else, but it really depends on how you kind of feel about them. But it's, it's really interesting. The, the, my fear for the A block is when it goes bad, it could go, it, like Yujiro is potentially could stink the place up. 
Mm. And that and that's something I've got like a little I've got little slight fears about the A block in certain places. He's the nice office. The B, isn't he? B block, I know what I'm getting with it. Mm. Yeah, I think Ujo Ujo's there just to like I mean it's a you know, again, people aren't gonna like us talking about Osprey in these terms, but it is, you know, Osprey's first match is Ujo. Like that's you know, that particularly the most exciting thing. And I think every every night he's on, he's the night where I mean I don't think Osprey will take a night off, but I think most of the other wrestlers he's gonna be the night off wrestler, isn't he? Um yeah. like I did joke with on the night, it was like, I mean, if the have they actually announced the right Takahashi, sure surely surely Hiromu might be the would would, would was the uh, the dream pick, especially based on that New Japan round table that you did, mm. uh, JP. I know the uh, the girls were kind of hoping for for something to come of the uh, the whole Hiromu uh, evil story, but yeah, I think there are those weak weak spots in, in A block, like you say. I think Yujiro's a given. Taichi will probably wrestle to the level of whoever he's in there with. Jeff yeah. Cobb, I can't say particularly excited me last last go round mm. in New Japan. You know, uh, maybe he'll be a, a bit of a weak point as well. So yeah, maybe maybe I don't know what you think. I don't know. Maybe it's not as it's not as it's not all big hitters, is it? But there's a I mean, there's a lot there to to, uh, to sink your teeth into still. Oh yeah, I mean, like you look at that A block, and you know, I was just going back and looking at the stats from from last year and looking at the the, the match ratings and like across the you know across the, the the nine matches last year, you had like Ishii came out of from nine matches with like an average of four point one nine. You think across nine matches, like averaging that high, and then Okada was like four point zero four, Osprey four point zero four, Shingo just under four, and you think like there are four people in one block there, and they've wow. had like between them there that volume of matches that have just been you know four star or above, absolutely like elite level. So you're just thinking, you know, Jesus Christ, there's going to be some matches, isn't there, in in, in that block? And I mean, you know. Personally, I think there's, you know, I know B's getting sort of pinned has been the pegged as the the story block as well. But you know, I think there's, I think there's a lot of underlying stories here as well with different, you know, with different um, things. And I think I, I find it intriguing, really, because because it's so stacked and because, I mean, in theory, there's a lot of different people there who who are going to be up there and they're going to win a lot of matches and they, you know, get a lot of points. It's it's you know, it's hard to hard to call and hard to predict. But it, to me, you've just got like little things there, like obviously the way it ended last year with Ibushi and Okada been tied at the top of the table and Ibushi won to send him, you know, so he went to the final sort of thing. So and Okada didn't, and that's and then they're in the first match this time, opening things up. So that's just like a little kind of story element there of like how how Kota got past him last time to um, to to move on to the final, and then just I don't know, just little things with it. Then you know, I'm always looking for those things first day and last day and things, just looking for those little bits of story and like obviously then like this time you've got. You know, Okada and Osprey on the last night, and you know you're looking at that one and thinking, okay, well, what's what's going on here? Clearly, they've been like elevating Osprey, and you know, is you know, is um, you know, is it is in line? Is is it all going to come boil down to this? You know, he hasn't had those wins over Okada in the past. Is Okada going to spoil it for him? Is Osprey going to spoil it for Okada again? And he misses out on the final day and things. So I think there's like little within tournament sort of. Um, I don't know storyline nuances there um, you know just I, I keep looking at little things and just thinking like Shingo who's Osprey won for that best of the Super Juniors final last year and Suzuki should be like you know fuming coming into this tournament because he wasn't in it last year and things like that so I think I think in the A block there there's a lot of uh, a lot of lift, lot of different elements there really which um, you know which are, which are, which are going to go a long way I, d- I don't think it's just purely about the matches A block I think it's I think there are little nuanced elements of, of the story there and then when I look at B block 
I mean, it's a, it's a different story altogether. Obviously, you know, you said about the, the the matches and the the match quality there. Not one of the wrestlers in B Block had an average over four last year. You know, wow. the highest was Tanahashi on three point eight two, Zack Saber Junior behind it with like a three point seven eight, and, and and Naito on three point seven six. So, it is lower. They've definitely pushed people across into into that black uh, into that block. It weren't you know the same from a match quality point of view. There's probably is Gato using grapple? Is that what it is? Has Gato been doing his research? <laughs> <laughs> well, who knows? Who knows? He set possibly. up a class system based on grapple ratings. <laughs> maybe, maybe there's a uh, maybe there's a line of these numbers going through to those uh, New Japan offices there. Who, who knows? But um, but yeah, there's definitely. I mean, as you look at it across the across the piece, like basically everyone in B Block, their matches last year averaged out at about three and a half, whereas everyone in in A Block this time around is like three point seven six or above, and that's when you've got Cobb and Taichi in the group as well. So it's you know it's very it's it's very clear. Mm. oh wow that's interesting i like the numbers back it up because yeah we all immediately look at that b-lock and i kind of get that feeling but yeah to hear it laid out uh in black and white like that yeah that is that's i think i think it's fair to say jp is that we're going to be when we're covering these pod these on podcast it's going to be uh mm. the a blocks are going to be the exciting days and the b blocks are going to be like oh here we go <laughs> i think that's i mean saying that the, i don't think the floor is quite as low in the b block i think that might be something you know i think the really i mean i enjoy I'll, i'm one of the few people who enjoys yano still like i'll enjoy a yano match uh, oh, obviously yeah. he's gonna you'll shit the beds as far as grapple ratings go but i always enjoy the day off and i know that's you know, I think a lot of people are sick uh, of that theory of the you know the Yano you know break, mm. but I I still enjoy it for the most part. Um, but yeah, really, I mean, there's nothing. The thing that I mean, the worst wrestler in the entire thing is in the A block, um, and it's not yeah. Taichi, it's uh, it's Yujiro, um, and the B block hasn't really got anybody quite that. But I mean, even Yoshihashi, I can live with. Like, I make jokes about him, but like, I, I still don't really think. I kind of wish he wasn't in the G1. I wish maybe, like I said, uh, it was wishful thinking, really, expecting Hiromu to be moved up to, to heavy for it. Or, you know, I suppose I should be thankful, actually, it could have been one of the Tongans. So maybe maybe it's better than that. Mm. <laughs> uh, but, you know, other than him, there isn't really everyone in that B block, like Goto. You know, I'm not a big Goto fan, but I'm going to get a three and a half start, like, start out of a mana or a 3.25 at the minimum. It's not going to drop much lower than that, I suppose, is the thing with the B block. It's just hasn't got based on those numbers Gareth said there like that that you know what is the uh, you know what's the ceiling because the ceiling is is way higher uh, in that A block mm. again even if you just look at Osprey's lineup to be honest the matches over the uh, over the weeks yeah I'm, I'm, I'm with you on that one I mean it, it, the B block there's so many things that could be awful I'm fearful of the booking of evil and what that's going to end up being there is and that. loads of yeah the, it'll be the if new Tamatonga Yep, on a massive level. Um, Sonata, we've spoken about at length, and you're just sort of thinking, like, he had the Okada match last year. So he had that one kind of really, like, the best match of their series, by quite a distance, actually. Mm. Um, And and you look at the other things that can kind of go, like, there isn't... Yeah, it's just sort of lacking that kind of one big worker. And, and Naito, you know what he's like during a G1 generally. He's yeah. only going to be there in the last kind of couple of nights. I mean, Ricardo knows how to kind of pace not killing himself throughout it at this point. And he's earned the right to kind of, I think, sort of pull back his style a bit more for it. But, yeah, I'm just fearful of 
like even to a degree some of the kind of possible Kenter stuff as well that's true and yeah like it feels from a storyline perspective like i said like it, it contained it contains the two big kind of factional storylines that they're loving at the minute which mm. is lij and bullet club and they're kind of entwined because of evil and i fear the possibility for that is going to be a lot of kind of clusterfuck stuff and i kind of think new japan need to hit the ground running with this tournament. I'm not saying there's pressure necessarily because they've got such a bad fan base. They're going to sell out a lot of those shows kind of automatically. Mm. But I think if you're trying to sell, which I think is going to be the focus of this show and Wrestle Kingdom, sell more subscriptions possibly, then you're going to need to kind of deliver something on the wrestling front because if you've got these cards, I mean, I understand they're six match cards. So it's going to be like, the young lions in a sick in six mans throughout the whole thing. Mm. And then it's going to be the five block matches, which oh, is yeah. good for the crowds and it makes it easier for us. I'm good kind of grateful. Us, yeah. yeah. I'm grateful for that. But at the same time, I still think there's a, a degree of given the state of wrestling, given the state of the world, if they're able to kind of put on some really great matches, it might be something that kind of, I don't know, just gets a bit of more momentum for them, which is something I think they kind of need. Mm. Yeah, I think that opening weekend is going to be important to kind of, because mm. I think we're all losing ourselves a little bit and kind of, you know, we've probably got to remember from this summer, anytime you get ex- get really excited for New Japan, it's not quite New Japan, is it, in this pandemic? It's, 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 a, it's a different beast watching these shows and things that look great on paper might not necessarily, you know, be as uh, be as good in reality, <coughs> but I really hope they are. To be honest, I, I would love to have a even if it's just from the A buck point of view. You get this the the great G one uh, of all that uh, that we're we're all usually looking forward to. Um, but I, I mean, I was going to say like on the on the overall. I mean, I haven't done my pickums yet for voices or posts. I'm going to be doing, filling mm. those in this week. But I've got a got a good idea of where I'm going. I, I, I feel like I feel like we're going towards. Uh, I think. I think the Osprey, as Gareth mentioned there, I think Osprey Okada on the uh, on, on the last day of A Block. I feel like that's more Osprey playing spoiler for Okada, and I think it'll be between Okada and uh, and Jay White in that block. And I feel like the B Block is literally going to come down to a uh, to Evil uh, and Sonata, and maybe maybe Naito as a as a third wheel in that. That's the way I see it going. That's probably the way I'm gonna I'm gonna lay out my pickums. But I was just looking at these these Unibet odds that are that are out, and you can in fact. Uh, bet on the G1. That's what we probably should have done. Yeah, we should have, we should have sorted the grapple sponsorship uh, out for that, Gareth, uh, for some G1 bets. But you can't do accumulators. I'm I'm told so that that's me. That's made me sad. But like, just looking at those numbers, like I don't know where they, where they're getting this from. Maybe Meltzer's their inside source or something. But Sonada is is two to one. Like like Sonada's two to one. Evil's three to one, and Okada's three to one. Like, do they know something we don't? Uh, I mean, I suppose that fits in with, with what I'm saying as far as my la- my layout goes, but it does surprise me to see Sonada out there as a favourite, Jay White 5-1, to one, Osprey 5-1. to one. Uh, I wouldn't have called it. If anything, I'm I'm considering JP throwing a, a cheeky quid on. Uh, I mean, maybe not Yujiro at 66-1, to one, but Minoru Suzuki is there for 66-1, to one, and it, I'm pretty sure it won't happen. But for the mm. sake of a pound, you know, pound on Jeff Cobb at sixty-six to one, pound on Taichi at fifty to one, 
Zach's 33 to 1, you know, there's a, you never know, I mean, there was the Goto year, so, you know, when he got through to the final against Kerry Omega, you know, anything's possible in these G1s, uh, I'm very tempted, but I think I'll end up doing that thing, though, where I'll, I'll spread so many individual bets that I'll end up not making as much as I bet on it, uh, if I actually go through with this, but, yeah, interesting to, uh, to see those odds out there laid out in, uh, in black and white. Save, save those individual pounds and oh, add them up and put them on Ecada or put them on Sonara. Right. I would say, listen to that. Yeah. I think don't be don't be throwing a quid at Ujiro or anything like that. <laughs> Gato <laughs> might have lost his mind. He might just get up one day and be like, "Yeah, Ujiro, that's the guy." Either add it to your uh, add it to your, your your big pot for your Ecada or your, or your Sonara. <laughs> I, would, I would say, you know, or oh, save your pound for your County Road pot noodle. <laughs> <laughs> when you listen to them odds there and you, you hear like a card of three to one like that's, that's bloody tempting and then i think you know if you know i'm i'm not sure about the sonata sonata thing but a card at three sounds like a crack compared to me like mm. because um you know i think that was one of the things that I, you know probably from a, a storyline point of view as as i was looking at that and just thinking about where Ricard has been really for the last two years, and okay, he stepped in and he had he had them two great matches at Wrestle Kingdom, which are probably going to be up there for for match of the year. But other than that, you know, he's obviously spent a hell of a lot of time. You know, I, do, I think his stock's definitely lower than it was say eighteen months ago, two months uh, so eighteen months, two years ago. You know, obviously he's spent a lot of time this year just filling in the blanks with Ujiro uh, and things like that. I kind of feel like there's right now they just need to push a bit stronger with Akada really and just just to just do a bit more with him because I think obviously he went through his balloon phase and he came out of it and he said he didn't feel as hot post that phase as he was before it and now he's had this sort of like limbering period and I feel like they really need to kind of you know just accelerate Akada and get him back to that level and you know have a few more great matches which is oh you can obviously do within this tournament and I was looking and he hasn't won the G1 since 2014 either so oh, wow. it's been a, you know, it's, it's been it's you know it's been a long long time since he's, he's won it as well so it's not like it's oh sticking a you know going back to Akada from that point of view if he if he does and obviously you know obviously it's leading to a dome as well sort of thing you know and I think I keep looking at the fact that that Naito Okada match last year at the Dome that, oh sorry this year at the Dome that wasn't something that was you know that was promoted as the headliner it was part of that weird four-way tournament sort of thing either as well so there's still money and an advanced booking of that feud as well and you look at it and think how, how many how many more you know years as Naito got in at the elite level as well so I think I'm uh, I think I've convinced myself I'm all in on Okada and three to one sounds like a cracking bet to me throw all those grapple millions out of Gareth Speaking of getting better. <laughs> uh, how about you, JP? So you, 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 well, you fancy a flutter on this? I, I do, but I don't bet. That's the other thing with this, is I'm, I'm quite I'm quite good in that regard, you but know, I'm always interested in betting. Been you know those Ogden boys will have, will have thrown a few tanners at this already. Oh, yeah. Oh, God, yeah. And I look at it in terms of value, I'm thinking there's a story that you could tell with Hiroshi Tanahashi at 8-1. to one. If you want to go down that route, because if you're really thinking, how many of these can you do? Can you do one of those in the last dome main event? Potentially get someone like a Bushi. God knows. Anyway, so you could have you could have that and Jay White, but really, there's a reason why bookies win this stuff, and it tends to be because they have a very good idea of what direction they're going in. Now, he could throw a curveball, but it kind of depends on what New Japan think of 
the dome? Because let's say, hypothetically speaking, they can run it. Would they be able to do a third capacity? Like, it's difficult mm. at this point. It's impossible mm. to say, given what's going to happen. But they might be aiming for a third capacity. Mm. So are, what is going to be able to sell that? Are they going to be able to sell that easily enough? So the live kind of, what might be the live draw isn't, this might be the year that you can kind of get away with not having to do that. And you kind of build up perhaps some other parts on the card. And I've got some other wacky, like kind of, th- there's ideas in it where I could see Naito losing the title beforehand. or And it could be, Tanahashi versus Ibushi or you could get Sonada versus um, Naito and I've just completed my pickums, and I went Sonada Okada in the final for this with mm. Sonada getting the kind of big win because I just feel like they're going to pull the trigger on the whole sort of LIJ implosion stuff all together and, and this seems to play into it and you could see them kind of reset a lot of the factions I think that might be the direction that they go in and kind of change things around completely and it does all need it. For me, it's some of this stuff is quite stale. And I'd like the Sonata stuff. I don't say with any joy whatsoever. I just think, get it over and done with, do it this year, just get it over and done with. And then like, we'll just see if he rises into the role or not. Mm. I mean, I'm intrigued with the LAJ stuff. I think with, with, Evil Sonata and um, Naito all been in that block and something that obviously like I always think about is when you've got the champion in there, you're thinking about, okay, well, who's he, who's he going to take a loss to in the G1 that he's then going to defend the title at Power Struggle or you know, mm-hmm. whatever, you know, something that, that that falls in between. And and obviously he's got both belts as well. And that was, you know, I was thinking about the fact that, I don't know, in theory he could lose, he could lose in the G1 and go, well, I'm only putting up the Intercontinental or something like that, and then you know splitting the belts on 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 route to the dome, which I kind of feel like needs to happen because they can't just carry around both belts for good. And then I don't know, maybe that's a route. Maybe I don't know. He, you know, Sonado or Evil takes the Intercontinental off him because they beat him in the tournament, or maybe it's mm. something that you know Tanahashi or something like that could do that, and it leads to that Ibushi match at at, at the dome having having a belt uh, as as well. So. I, I just think, like, the more I look at it and the more I just think about it in detail, there's so many different ways and so many yeah. variables that they've got sat here. And I think having those three in that same block there and um, especially having Kenta in there with Evil as well and, you know, them two both being, okay, we're both senior Bullet Club people who've both had, you know, IWGP title shots this year and things mm. things like that as well. There's the element of the inner Bullet Club rivalry as well. There kind of thing. I don't know. Um, as much as I'm not like chomping at the bit for the match quality in Block B, I think I, th- I think the nuances of the way these different stories could go. You know, it, it's it's a. Uh, it, it's it's definitely like making this appealing to me as well. Just thinking about further down the road and what the impact's going to have on the road to the dome, but then also the matches mm. that actually happen at the dome. Mm. See, that's it. Yeah, you, you might have convinced me now. I think I'm, I'm interested in like, are they, are they actually going to go with like a? Are we going to cap off this Bullet Club story? Is is Evil going to win this entire thing? Is Evil Jay White is the final? That could be one of my pickums. I cheat anyway when I do when I do a voices one and I do a post one. I always do two completely different lineups. Like, like, like pop for that on, a, on, on one of my pickups. That's a that could make sense. That could happen. That it, you know, I mean, it'd be Joe's nightmare. It'd be my nightmare too, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> but hey, Jay White's five to one. You know, might throw throw a few quid at that. That's a that's a possibility. We're not thinking of yeah that Bullet Club strife. Like you say, you tell it, tell the story in the in the uh, the tournament section, and then uh, and then pay it off with that. 
fuck. Maybe this uh maybe this evil experiment isn't actually over either. Maybe that's uh that's the way this is going. Um but yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm quietly I'm intrigued at that stuff. I think I'll be sick of it by day three if if we mm-hmm. do get an, an evil run like that Jay White run a couple of years ago, or like like you said, JP, when there's when the Tongans were in there, or when Bad Luck Farley was getting himself DQ'd on purpose every every match. Uh, if we get that out like the first couple of weeks, and you know we're going to be reviewing all of this on the podcast, so we're we're in for a slog uh, this autumn season. We get a lot of that. I'm grateful for no Bad Luck Farley. I'm very, very grateful for that. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm grateful to be honest for the no Tongans, for no Tamatonga yeah. and Tongaloa. To be honest, like not taking the whole thing seriously and turning up in work up workout pants or whatever the gimmick will be in a given year. I'll tell. I suppose they don't need them, and in mm. a nice way, they'll turn up at the final. And obvious, I think it's going to be some sort of Jay White Kenta thing going on there, and I could see like. As much now as Gareth has kind of walked my mind, convinced me why Carter has to win because you can have Evil Sonata for the IC belt. Thanks for that, Gareth. <laughs> uh, but I think you're going to get. I I think they're going to go with a Jay White face turn mm-hmm. as well. I think that seems to be. I think that could that is going to be part of the direction, and they're going to have like something with Kenta and something with the Tongans as well. Mm-hmm. And I, I, yeah, I'm not saying it's going to be good, but I think it's going to happen. <laughs> so, so, so based on everything we've discussed, it's it's a cardo, it's Tanahashi having a run, it's Jay White getting to the final with <laughs> a face t- a face turn. Evil and Sonata are also going all the way as well. So with an outside better Ujiro, you know, it's, it's always possible everyone. <laughs> the only way he's winning it is in a King Ralph style situation where everybody else on that roster dies. And he lives and by default he goes to win it. And I don't know, he goes in there, probably gets bad luck Farley, sadly, in, in what will be the Tokyo Dome and they'll be mentioned again. Sorry, that's a horrible thing to think about, but <laughs> that's the only way he's winning it. I reckon like I'm gonna... John Goodman becoming king. Just for the bit on this podcast, I think I am literally going to tuck a tenor, tenor at Ujiro and just see what happens, you know. <laughs> just, just to ride you'll, along, you'll give, give me some stakes to this thing. <laughs> <laughs> I'll donate a tenor to charity as well or something. Maybe I'll do that. Uh, but there you go. Do you want individual match-by-matches, I mean, mm. yeah. I think you you've can't... also got a very heavy risk of corruption then at that stage, haven't you? It's fucking. Oh, that's yeah. the thing. Everyone always says that, don't they? About like you know, you do. I remember when I first started doing like the rumble bets and mania bets, and your non-fan friends are like, "You take bets on wrestling," but it's like, well, they take bets on EastEnders, don't they? Like, what's going to happen in the Christmas episode? That type of thing. Who's yeah. going to win X Factor? Ah, it's no different than that. Um, and I trust Gado to not be corrupted. Um, like I said, he's got the uh, he's got grapple guard in him anyway. That's how, that's how he's laid this thing out. So <laughs> <laughs> he's gone pure statistical to get the grapple best matches. Gado. Is there a maximum? <laughs> is there a maximum stake? <laughs> oh, I don't think there is. You know, I don't. Uh, Oh, I, oh, I don't. I've not seen it. Uh, well, then again, I suppose if you tried to bet ten grand on her. Uh, on uh, Hiroshi Tanahashi or, or Yujiro, I think you might get some kickback. Although, yeah, Gado could uh, could do that, make himself some some quid, get that uh, retirement pot yeah. going. Yeah, it's an idea. It's wrestling, mate. <laughs> what would boy. Fritz von Erich do? <laughs> Faced with this scenario, I ask myself that every day, JP. <laughs> I do much more often than I ever care to admit. And it's normally when you're you're faced with a terrible option and you choose the even worse thing to do. <laughs> uh, Signing eight by tens of your son. 
<laughs> so yeah, we'll uh, obviously be doing uh, plenty of coverage out here in the G1. Uh, we're going to be talking, uh, obviously, the, the opening weekend uh, next Monday. Steph's going to be coming on to tell us all why why Jay White's going to win the entire thing. And uh, obviously, mm. uh, Gareth, you're going to be do- you're going to be doing the grapple updates through the whole tournament, every live or. What's the what's the idea for this one? Yeah, yeah. The plan is it'll be it'll be live. One of the definitely one of the pandemic benefits is going to be working from home every day from the the normal job. So the nice. G one will be on in the background, and the uh, app will be getting updated and uh, uh, live as well. Yeah. So yeah, definitely. Uh, if you've if you've not been using the app, never a better time to jump in and start using it. And uh, yeah, just follow along. And especially when it gets to like G one, I know that there's a lot of people who they can't watch everything sort of thing. Mm. So um, yeah. If if you want to, if you want to pick and choose, there's there's no better uh, no better way of doing it than looking at what everyone's rating the matches. Definitely, definitely, um, and yeah, we are the idiots who will be watching probably everything. Uh, but <laughs> if you're not, yeah, grapples uh, perfect for that. It's uh, it is G1 season's grapple season, I reckon. So yeah, I'm uh, quietly, quietly very excited for that. Um, but yeah, as we said earlier as well, there's uh, there's G1 pickums out there as well. So if you were bored by our fancy football talk, get involved with the wrestling version. Uh, Voices of wrestling and post wrestling have both got a uh, good versions out there as well, and. Uh, do some fantasy booking of your own, uh, but yeah, uh, like I say, we'll uh, be talking that in the uh, in the coming weeks. But uh, let's get into some reviews. Uh, might as well start with uh, with AEW um, as we were going to, and yeah, let's uh, let's talk it. AEW Dynamite hit it more than a million viewers. That's a that's an achievement, I think. Uh, coming off a pay per view, I think we all kind of uh, quietly expected it. Weird show though, like I think it's fair to say. I was mm. it's weird. I've never had a show right where I watched it live and I think I enjoyed it. And then the more time has gone, the more I've kind of broken down that show in my head, the more I hated it. I think it's probably a couple of the segments particularly that I think we're gonna get into and I'm I'm wondering whether whether you guys uh, thought the same. We haven't actually uh, spoken about it. The uh the Miro segment is probably the big one for me, uh, as well as that that FTR segment, um, which I hated, but it was it was just a weird show. It felt like, you know, it felt it felt like because they weren't head to head with NXT, they felt like you know what we'll just throw, literally every five seconds somebody else had a microphone in the hand, and it was like I'd love to see the stats on that. Like that, I love pro wrestling statistics to do some numbers on that. Like the difference between remember those dynamites early on JP where we were complaining about it, going like they're just terrified to shoot an angle in, in case people turn over to NXT, and you get like those full two hours of match, 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 match. This was like like the uh, the polar opposite of it. It was just angle after angle after angle, which I like in my TV wrestling, but. I don't know, tonally, I just thought it was a weird show. Um, I don't know, what did you guys think of it overall? What did you maybe start with? Maybe we should start with Miro. I think that was probably the uh, the big mm. takeout in his uh, in his Gucci Mickey Mouse t-shirt, was it? And his Gucci pants and his Kanye West trainees. What are the Yeezys? Is that what the kids call them? Um, <laughs> yeah, I think that's probably where my biggest complaint comes because I fucking hated that. I didn't know. I've listened to other podcasts where people enjoyed that thing so you know maybe one of you two guys will be represented i can see you both shaking your head so i'm assuming not but like, <laughs> i don't know where those people are coming from like that it was any good like i thought it was one of the worst debuts i've ever seen on, on tv it was sub tier like i'm sorry jp but sub tna levels it was it was damien sandow coming out looking like he wanted to be anywhere else it was just odd it was just totally so weird like him coming out with this fucking 
I said me cards are on Twitter, but I think that's generous to Kip Sabian, this fucking undercard nerd who's never going to go anywhere in Kip Sabian being in the angle with Miro and they did a load of comedy around Twitch and Miro smiling and laughing and then shoehorning in lines that sound again like they could come from a debut TNA promo. Like, I'm not someone who hates them bringing in a lot of ex-WWE guys. I think there are limits, but when you bring them in and you do the whole glass ceiling speech, you've got to execute that well for it to work and it just felt wrong in this segment uh yeah and i i hated everything about it to be honest and i think it has as the time as time has gone on since since i watched the show it's colored my impression of the show and i'm almost questioning how this fucking thing hit one million viewers um but i don't know you mm. you guys are feeling that or or maybe not as a as stronger on miro's debut or the, the show in general um I hated it. Oh, there we go. Um, Good. Yeah, he, he looked a fucking state, for one. And he looked the complete opposite of what people liked about Rusev. Yeah. As a fucking killer. He was the complete opposite. He was, honestly, he looked like, he looked a fucking state. Mm. Like he just put on whatever it was he was going to do and just run around to get some fags from the corner shop. <laughs> but obviously he's not arsing to get in the shower first or anything. And here he is. <laughs> and if he's got that kind of money to bear that wear those clothes, he must be wiping his ass with tenors. It's shocking. Like it, cop on. Like really, it, it, that's the clothing notwithstanding. It was like why in this segment the marriage stuff had zero interest anyway. That like and it just I don't know the why they're going in that direction. If they're just like because that feels like such most blatant rate ratings chasing. But that never works long term because all weddings do is you might get a one week bump, but ultimately it just pisses off your core audience. Mm. So you introduce someone who's got a big fan base, you introduce them in a way that doesn't show him off as being special in any way, shape or form in a segment that most of your audience aren't really going to care about in any meaningful way. And it's sort of downplaying all the traits that kind of made him popular and why people think he really had potential. Yeah, it's it was fucking awful. Yeah, yeah it was just tonally completely wrong. And that was my main issue with the overall show. I mean, well, what do you make of it, Gareth? Are you a fan of the uh, the outfits? Was uh, saying that. I mean, are all the kids into that? Is that what the kids are into? Mickey Mouse um, $700 t-shirts or whatever it is? Uh, I don't know. Maybe, uh, maybe Alex thought he was cool. I don't know. Yeah, I was going to say, mine, mine aren't into £700 Disney fucking outfits. And they the, the better not get into £700 Disney outfits either because I won't be fucking getting any. Um, <laughs> Um, I mean, I, I mean, my focus when I was watching it, it wasn't on necessarily on what he was wearing, and I know he looked shit. Like, mm. but for me, I was just here. like, like when it was him, I was like, why is Rusev? Why, why is Kip Sabian the choice of yeah. person for Rusev to be, or Miro, as I should start calling him now, for Miro to be debuting on, on Dynamite? And and then I was thinking, oh great, he's just gonna like fucking destroy him here. He's you know. Kip Sabian, jobber to the stars, just going to get his head beat in here and make like Miro look as hard as fuck here. And, you know, that should be the the introduction that it is. But then things, I don't know, you had those lame comedy segments before it with, was it Puff who came out and then like Brian oh. Pillman for some reason came out and took a load of shit off Kip Sabian and just walked away. And I was like, 
why does why is Brian Pillman just taking this shit off Kip Sabian and then just just walking away kind of thing like a losing game show contestant or something like that kind of thing which is that's what he felt like and then and then now all I can think about it is this wedding better be the outcome of this wedding better be the outcome that I was thinking of when he came out on Dynamite and it better just be an absolute destruction of Kip Sabian where he just it looks like that killer that we all want him to be and know that he can be and because otherwise if this if this is used in some way where there's some kind of like alliance between them two or pairing or little storyline there you know we know Sabian's obviously lower mid card and his comedy basically kind of he doesn't need to be mixing with that he needs to be he needs to be taken seriously and especially because he's probably earning a few quid to be there as well really is somebody who can make an impact and is someone who's been massively popular in the in, in the in the past and you only get that kind of you get that first chance don't you to make that big initial reaction and before it becomes diluted and you know they've they've managed to turn people around in the past or turn storylines around in the past but you shouldn't have to do that you've got some you've got like a home running your hands here with him and you know mm. to debut this way it was mm. just the shits as far as i was concerned totally it, it's like it's almost like they feel pressured because they i mean it's their own fault they have they brought i don't mind doing it but they have brought in one too many xwb guys i like i think there's a line i think there's no problem with bringing in miro caught there shouldn't be any problem with bringing in miro there's no problem in doing Brody Lee, you know, I'm not a big fan of the Vince McMahon character, but I can clearly see there's lots of upside in Brody Lee that WWE didn't tap into. Where the, I mean, FTR, another one, of course they needed to sign FTR, and, you know, people moan about all the champions being ex WWE guys, but, you know, it was two weeks ago, Kenny and, and, um, and Hangman were the champions. I mean, you know, the titles change all the time. That'll be fine. And FTR, mm. you know, I can understand putting the tag belts on him because you can build towards that young bucks match. There has got money in it. Um, you know, it's been built for years. There's a fan base that love it. I get that too. It's the Vicky Guerreros of the world being on the show. It's you know we said at the time you can maybe see the argument for ringing in Zack Ryder because he's you know the people who listen to his podcast might well follow him over. But it just comes a point where. It's one too many of those, and it felt like the, the counterpoint with Miro, and you know there are, you know us three seem to hate it, uh, and a lot of the podcasts I've actually listened to this week hated it. But I listened to John and Way, and they were fans, broadly speaking, of doing a different presentation with Miro. You know, and Melter didn't seem to hate it. You know, I've listened to other podcasts and you know people on Twitter who respect who who enjoyed it, and I think maybe the counterpoint is that you put in, you're not just taking Rusev, giving him a new name like TNA might, and doing, you know, what's Miro doing in the impact zone and he's he's Rusev in all but name and he's, you know, smashing one of your guys to the point where you've got, you know, you, you people would say you have that problem of XWWE guys going through all your homegrown talent. So, yeah, I kind of get that thinking, but I think they've just overthought it. I don't think of the people they've brought over, I don't think Miro's the one who needed the fresh coat of paint. I think he mm. was relative. He was over in WWE towards the end. He was he still had a bit of momentum going. The money in him is, yeah, he can do comedy. Yeah, he is quite a charismatic, likable dude. But the money isn't the fact that, you know, he's got a Twitch channel with 100,000 subscribers. The money is that he's a monster. Like, that is, that is, yeah. that's what works with him. He, if he, yeah. 
if he is your, your ex-WWE guy, you've got a problem with coming in and, you know, smashing through Cody. Like, how great would that have been? Instead of, as much as the Brody Lee thing was well done, imagine it was Miro. Imagine that was how that went. You know, Cody blading for Miro and selling for him. Or another, you know, big star selling for him. This is the type of guy you do that with. This is the guy who's got that upside. This is the guy who should be in the fucking... Mm. He should be in the G1 as far as I'm concerned. I genuinely think there's money in Miro, but... Yeah, um, this is the guy where they decided to to go that other route and and not retread his his WWE stuff. And I suppose it goes to you know a lot of their a lot of their fan base and a lot of their the build of AEW is linked to you know the success of being the elite, the whole YouTube personality kind of thing that 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 makes. I think it does make AEW stand out a little bit different. They got the the finger on the pulse a little bit more about what works with modern audiences so i can mm. again i can see that counterpoint that you know you know let's let's lean into the fact that he's that he's famous on twitch but i just think for rusev the upside is there i mean miro the up the upside is is there and sometimes the obvious thing to do is just the right thing to do and for me yeah they've overthought it and i think that's that's the biggest problem here and one of the things that I thought was weird, though, as well, was that is to me is like charisma didn't come through. So it was like almost he felt Not awkward much. in the scenario, yeah. and like, and you know, for my sins, I've watched I've watched a lot of total divas with him on and things where you see people being a bit more natural, and you know, he's like a very funny bloke, and you know, I think when you see him on you know social media and things like that, you can see that he's got like a a good sense of humor. He's got that natural charisma and things, and 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 that just didn't come across at all and I as I've anticipated him coming to AW I've thought oh god I can't wait till this guy can just come out there and just freestyle with a mic and you know he'll mm. you know he'll, he'll be even more over than than he was in in WWE and I, I know I'm not gonna you know I'm not gonna throw somebody in the bin after one <laughs> one um one segment sort of thing but mm. you know I think I think for that to be his opening segment again, I was I was just surprised. He just felt I don't know. He, he, like you said, Ben, he looked a bit nervous or something. He just felt he didn't look comfortable at all. It was, which was a bit odd. Yeah, it's not for you- not for everyone, is it? Going off script. That's the thing. We all we all assume everyone is being held back by these WWE writers, and if they just had that bit of freedom. And I think what we've learned with AEW, I think it's a, it's a, it, to be honest, JP, it's a topic for another AEW roundtable. You give wrestlers freedom. And you get great things, don't get me wrong, like a lot of Cody Rhodes stuff. But you also get some shite, like, to be honest, a lot of Kenny Omega's ideas. And a lot of, you know, Remember this time last year when he came out dressed like a video game character in the middle of his blood feud with Jon Moxley? You get stuff like that sometimes when you when you give the wrestlers a little bit too much power to, to book their own shit and say what they want. And yeah, to, to Gareth's point there, I think Miro just looked... He looked nervous, he looked uncomfortable... He kind of didn't seem to really know what to do, um, being allowed to go out there and, yeah, what it felt like, you know, be relatively unscripted compared to how he's been mm. in the past. He looked high. He frankly. did, yeah. You know um, like, I don't know, I'm not saying he was. <laughs> looked not high. But he looked. Mm. And, um, yeah, there's my worrying thought in this, and it ties in exactly what you've just said there about them getting to choose their own storylines. This feels like it's connected to the storyline that ultimately led to him leaving WWE. And it's throwing it in there as part of that kind of meta joke. But that's what Impact would do. Impact would like would like stick on the circumstance of why someone left mm. rather than think what is good about this performer and what can we do about them and what weren't they doing. And you mentioned all the stuff with Rusev is I come back to the tank. 
at WrestleMania because mm. it felt at that moment like this guy looks big and he looks like he actually he can work and he's improving and he's charismatic and he's not just like oh what was his name Kozlov was it mm-hmm. um, he's, mm. he, he's not that he's much more than this and there's so much more to him and like because that never happened that I think that as wrestling fans that's the thing that sticks with us like of of all of the releases he was the one who has this really high upside mm. someone who like you said Gareth is is you know in his own personality is charismatic the kind of person like I always like to think of can you put them on a talk show and you can do it, I was going to ask is Lana released I, I forget now no she resigned last year I think I think she's got a long oh. contract so it's probably going to play in with that. I imagine he'll destroy them whenever it comes to the wedding and he'll go, I don't want to do wedding angles anymore. I'm a killer. And you go, well, that's great. Why don't you just introduce him as a killer in the first place and just take this shit out of the equation? Mm. Because it's completely unnecessary. It's a prequel you never asked for and you want no part of. Mm. Yeah, that's it. Um... Yeah, I don't know. It's like having a Tony Soprano and involve himself in some kind of... 1970s style sitcom in South London or something like that. You go, well, this doesn't make any fucking sense. And you might think, oh, it's going to lead to his character motivations when he gets to New Jersey again. You go, well, how's that going to work? It's bullshit. It's just, it's awful storytelling. Yeah, it is. I mean, I'd watch that, to be honest, JP, but yes. Uh, (laughs) Overall, I see your point. (laughs) I'll want tonight. (laughs) I mean, aside from that, what did you guys make of the show? I mean... I suppose a positive is the fact... Like, I was actually surprised. I, I thought, post-pay-per-view... I know... what I, I've actually... There's a pattern there, isn't there, with AW? They're not like WWE. They're not going to rematch the pay-per-view match on the TV after. They probably should sometimes. I feel like this was one where they had... You know, there was a high ceiling for potential viewers for this one. If it was me, and as you know, booking on my TW game, JP, I would <laughs> probably have. Uh, I probably would have done something with one of the members of the elite, or had a you know a high prestige main event. But to be fair to them, they went with Dustin Rhodes um, mm. and against Brody Lee, and it worked. You know, well, you know, reading through the uh, the observers breakdown, it did as well as any other segments on the show. It was above that particular segment was above a million. Um, it worked, and to be honest, it was a really enjoyable TV match. You're always going to get that out of out of Dustin Rhodes as well. Uh, I went three point two five on Grapple. Um, you know, not a not a huge rating, but you know, an enjoyable main event. And I thought that was uh, that was some of the positive for this week's show. Even if yeah, maybe going in, I might have made another call on that one, Gareth. Yeah, I mean. I thoroughly enjoyed that match. I thought, you know, I may have even gone slightly higher, like three and a half or something like that. It just, it, like you say, it was a good TV match, but it just felt that, um, it just felt that it was a, just a good extension there of things that they've been doing with with Luke Harper and and Cody and and then, um, you know, I think I think the match itself going into it, obviously, I knew that, you know, I knew that Dustin Rhodes wasn't winning the match, but. They they managed to get me like really engaged in it in what in what was happening and I, I you know I even like half bit on things there with like the crossroads and things like that when there was the there, there was the pin with that I kind of half went with it a little bit there which is you know to me that that's a testament of good wrestling is when the, there's an outcome to a match that you know is definitely not happening but they still get you to bite on something like that a little bit and I know that's not going to be the case for everybody but you know that was that was something that I really um, that I, I really enjoyed and it was just two, you know it was just two big lads who knew how to 
of work just 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 going at it and they, they got the crowd going as well you know i think that was another another thing that you know we were critical last week about all out was the the, the crowd been a bit dead for that particular match like the crowd were were definitely up and i mean when you, you say there about it been been a million um i just thought there was two like cracking points to that that was like as aw crack the million there it's like it's you know, it's Dustin Rhodes and uh, sorry, it's Gold Dust and Luke Harper in the, in the main event kind of thing. You know, which is fantastic as far as I'm concerned. That it's you know two people who just mm. they, the WWE saw zero value in. You know, there were people who were just you know either not on TV or working main event and things like that. And mm. you know, I think that was a good one in the eye. But another thing that I thought was the way it ended, and you had the Dark Order in 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 the ring at the end with celebrating with with uh, Brody Lee. It was. It just sort of was a was a good indication of how well they've done at turning that whole story around. Because if you think about how that show ended, was it the New Year's Eve show or something like yeah. that? That was the dark order in the ring, and it was like, oh my god, this is shit. Like, and people were sort of like panicking about where the direction of AEW and getting to that point now. It's oh yeah, we've cracked a million, and actually the dark order looked really good and credible at that, the end of that show with like a good storyline woven into it. You know, a, a champion there who's entirely credible who can put on good matches on tv or pay-per-views little like things happening like the colt cabana storyline just a little nod to it as part of that event there the john silver stuff that they're feeding in from being elite and things and suddenly it's become this rather than been this hokey sort of thing that i don't know would have looked more in place on like ecw on sci-fi when it first went over to there like <laughs> now actually it's looking like uh you know it's it's looking like a genuinely well-built well-written storyline that's got got a lot of legs in it and a lot of different directions it can go so it was like big kudos from that point of view as well really it's the cody storyline isn't it as well so it does feel like the one that's got most layers to it and it's like i went three and a half on this as well i mean part of that is always going to be my my dustin Rhodes bias mm. that's always going to be in there but it's the fact of how old is he now is he 52 is that right yeah i think that's what he's about that yeah i mean like he's incredible for that age because yeah. minora suzuki of a similar age basically doesn't bump a lot quite wisely and he knows how to work it around his kind of match. I watched one that he had in Big Japan recently, and that, and he could he could do that. It's the fact that he bumps, he does shit, mm. he moves with absolute pace and momentum, and obviously he's kind of like an expert in it. And I think when it comes to Brody Lee, it's like whatever reservations we all have about them as a group. And it's just things like the storyline, like the name and the masks. I think you can kind of get rid of the masks to a degree. You might just leave it on evil Uno, but I don't think, I think they're kind of past that point where they're becoming personalities in their own right. And that's what being the elite has really done. Mm-hmm. So particularly like you say, the stuff with John Silver. Um, the, but a match like this is like your perfect TV main event of kind of what you want to see. There were stakes, there was a reason for the match to exist. It was obviously the right result, but it's it just sort of adds to like it adds to Brody Lee. And I don't and I think Dustin Rhodes, you're always going to get some value out of him if you're doing these kind of you get one last chance at something. You know, that type of storyline with him, he's like the most perfect veteran wrestler to put into that role because there's this whole weight of his own personal backstory and his career backstory that he kind of puts into it. And that's that like if I could be honest, the one thing I'd lose is the face paint. I'm kind of tired of that. Like, just being self. 
that's like for me if you if you can do something like that but he's not going to do that and it's completely within his own rights and it's exactly a minor point but like I really enjoyed it. It was my my favourite part on the on this show, mm. and it was the thing at the end of it that I thought actually was really good. But oh, the go big storylines. Sorry, the go big show is that what you're talking about? <laughs> Co- Cody Rhodes. <laughs> <laughs> that's the big yeah the, yeah. I didn't you know what Jamie? I, I, you were about to say how much I enjoyed that you know the ending mm. and the angle at the end, but I don't know using that to lead into a Cody Rhodes. Promo segment yeah. for the for a reality. It's I mean it's a reality. It's basically a, a talent show with with him and Snoop Dogg uh, on TNT. I suppose that's big news. Like that, that that felt a bit carny to be honest. Teasing that Cody was gonna have a big announcement when his angle was the main event. I wonder how many of those million yes. people who stuck around for a you know a Dustin Rhodes as much as we all like him main event in twenty twenty. I wonder how much of it was maybe people thinking we were going to get more than a, a go big show announcement as much as i'm excited for that show maybe we can uh, we can launch a podcast to cover that <laughs> i am and i'm going to give it and i'm going to give it a bit of time all right and i have faith in cody <laughs> as do tnt apparently um, well if you're going to put if they're going to bet on someone bet on him he seems like the, the one with the most common sense hey look the other the other three just do wacky shit don't they if a segment built around you that you don't even appear in can still draw a million viewers I think that tells you what a draw Cody is at the moment doesn't it um, so there is that uh, but yeah I, I was big on that main event I did think it was the high point of the show um, I had mixed feelings on the rest of it they did the the whole you know Matt Hardy I mean felt like pure PR didn't it getting uh, getting Rebby out there to, to appear on camera and uh, cool some of the uh, the bad press they've had over the, uh, the last week or so but I, I did think it was a nice segment um, just for me it was one too many like I say as far as in ring promos go like Vicky Guerrero got a promo on this show they had the whole FDR debacle which for me was just straight out of Monday Night Raw when you've got when you've got a segment where you know it's teasing the heels getting covered in cake and Luchasaurus is, uh, is in there stuffing his face like that's when it's like remember, remember when FTR used to complain all the time about how they were used on Raw I mean that's when you've got to uh, put your money where your mouth is um, yeah I thought it was a real mixed bag this show I don't know if you guys uh, are the highlights or lowlights out of that stuff or of the uh, the in-ring particularly I mean I, I mean, overall I enjoyed the show and I definitely came away from it thinking like oh good it put me on like a more positive note about AW compared to where I've been feeling after watching that pay-per-view like a few, a few, a few days previously and I know what you're saying there about the, the number of promos or backstage interviews and things like I counted them up and there was like 11 which I thought like wow. fucking hell that's a, that, that's a lot going the, over the weeks show. where literally there was none like literally there was zero in some early weeks that's crazy but I, but I think across the board there, when I'm looking at them, I thought the Jake Lance Archer stuff was better because it was a pre-taped thing backstage rather than going out with the live mic. So that was an improvement. I thought, yeah, it's a PR exercise, but I thought the Matt Hardy thing was good, getting him out there. It just sort of diffused that whole argument a little bit. And, mm. you know, it just, again, it was a, a positive PR stunt. I mean, there was, there was other bits that I didn't, like you know i mean you mentioned the the ftr stuff i thought tully blanchard came across poorly on that one as well i just i didn't in, 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 enjoy him there but i think the main thing of, of of all of those that jumped out for me was just that ricky starks it's darby allen it was very short taz was good on the the commentary and then um that was like that was funny it was just well delivered quick to the point you know ricky starks came came uh, you know, along you know looking like a bit more of a star i liked his like little i was laughing at his like little 
little digs at uh, Darby Allen with like his paint on his body that said like sad and dark on his knuckles and things like that or whatever it said and things you know so there was that serious star element to it with that little bit of humor at the side of it but you know i think for there was a certainly within those within those promos there was some that i, I particularly liked and and then there was elements of, of of you know from a match standpoint that that jumped out to me i mean one of the things we were moaning about last week really was the Penta, Penta and Phoenix, the way they've been like underutilized, and obviously they had the tease dissension within that match there, and it's 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 always felt a bit weird to me having that tag team and the Butcher and the Blade, mm. another tag team within a within a faction like that. So I don't know. It makes me think: is this was this something that they had planned anyway with like Death Triangle, and then the fact that Pat, Pat couldn't get in the country, it was it put on the back burner, and they've kind of shoehorned, you know. Penta and Phoenix splitting up or something like that for you know coming in from um coming in from that side of things so that was that was something that jumped out jumped out to me that I particularly enjoyed and then the other thing that I, I really enjoyed was um there was a sunny kiss um I just um every time like I saw him last year when me and Sarah went to Chicago and there was a freelance wrestling show on and we, and we went to that show and like there was the range of different people on it like um Kylie Ray was on it, Daniel McCarvey, Alex Zane, but Sonny Kiss just stood out on that show as being like the most charismatic, the most the one who had, had that element of star quality of him that you thought, okay, he might not be the best, but he, from a TV personality point of view or something like that, he had a bit of star quality etched about him. And then when I see him in this match, and like I, th- I thought he comes across, you know, he comes across really good just in terms of his character his very unique ring style the way he works in the rings a bit differently the way he executes moves is a bit differently and especially when he's in there next to janella who janella just looks like some indie bum next to him and like like sunny kisses in great shape he moves fast he does like exciting different moves and things like that as well and he was just someone there i just felt it was a little bit of a good showcase for him really and you know again he was some someone where in an environment where you've got people complaining about okay another wwe wrestler has been pushed to the to the fore you had sunny kiss looking good you had ricky starks looking good you had an opportunity developing there for penta and phoenix to come through as well so it feels like i don't know it's a fine juggling act but i think the you know i, I still think for as negative as we were about elements of, of all out i think that they, they are getting that balance right across the across the card and bringing new people through and then the one i haven't touched upon sorry just to <laughs> keep no, no. banging on is the uh, is the the mjf wardlow um, promo backstage mm. which was just awesome. for me it was just perfect because you're looking at it as like why the hell is this big machine monster of a bloke taking this shit off this little bloke? Why isn't he, you know, why isn't he turning on him currently? But the hit set like the whole parameters of that relationship and why Wardlow needs MJF and he's not signed to AW. MJF pays his wages and all that kind of thing. So it just kind of, it just cemented that dynamic between them and the fact that he was, his I don't know. His, 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 his hands are tied, and he, he has to stay with MJF, and that's. I think that's just going to carry on for a, a long time. And you know, I, I want it to be like a real slow burn. I don't want to see that turn for mm. twelve months, eighteen months, or something like that. Really, you know, it needs to be a real long thing. And because then, I think when when he finally does turn, that pop is going to be immense, and it's you know, it's going to make him an, an absolutely massive star. But um, again, that was another another thing that really jumped out out for me there so you know all in all i think the positives far outweighed the negatives for me on this show echo (laughs) for some of it i would just say with the penta and phoenix it's still like i don't know it just feels so weird how they're getting to this place 
And if it is, like you say, really, because they were going to do it with Death Triangle, possibly, Mm. and they've had to do it in this scenario, then okay. But it still feels kind of odd, like, the stuff like when he's mentioning about, um, is it, is it, um, uh, is it Braxton Sutter? Is that his, his real name? Blade. That's right. And yeah. mentioned about his wife as Ali and stuff like that. I was just a bit like, Meh. that's not part um, of the story, is it? Like she's just, she's with, um, what's his name? Isn't she Cody's mate? Um, QT Marshall. QT Marshall. Yeah. That's, that's and the battle yeah. Royal stuff. And I'm sure mm. they'll say it is like, it's a way of her having a job or something like along those lines, which mm. is weird. Um, but if it, like, as you say, if it's leading towards, like, a, a Penta and Phoenix singles run, at, like, and a blow-off match, then fine. That's definitely the way to go. The one note I had about the Matt Hardy stuff was, is this possibly the most fun anyone's had during a hostage video? Because it kind of had that <laughs> this vibe to him of, like, kind of accepting full responsibility and being sort of really happy and went out and delivered it. And I'm glad that he did. But it, it did sort of make me think as well. And then seeing Rebby in the crowd, it was weird. It was like, I don't know if we should all be watching this. Certainly not near to a million people. It's a good job she was wearing just... a mask. I bet you she was fuming yeah. behind a mask. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She did look a bit annoyed. I think the way that she was rocking the baby suggested that I'm getting actually a little bit wound up here. Not mm. shaking the baby or anything, obviously, <laughs> like that. But as, as he was speaking, I looked at her and she started to get that, just a little bit more sort of like animated. Um, and But at the same time, it was the thing they had to do, uh, wasn't it? They yeah. had to acknowledge it. That was the way to do it. He looks like he's taking time off and the rest of it. And that's kind of fine for, for whenever it's there. Um, yeah, th- th- apart from that, yeah, there's, there's. I'm in, I'm intrigued by the Jericho Hager stuff in the tag division, mm. and whether or not is this Jericho wanting to work with the Bucks, basically, and this gives them the reason to do it. Plus, it also forms a buffer for when they're with FTR because you want that match in front of a crowd. Mm. Yeah, maybe that's the way they go. And the only problem there is you've got to put Hager in the match. <laughs> I mean, can, can mm. we can we bring Lance Storm out of retirement to do a few the Thrill Seekers instead? Uh, you know, it's not the worst idea, is it, to do that and mm. put him in the tag division? I wondered whether whether that's where the, you know you mentioned before, Gareth, the MJF Wardlow st- stuff, because obviously the show opened with that you know Jericho and MJF being mirror images of people of each other thing. Which I'll be honest, I enjoyed it. I, I enjoyed it. In isolation, as a funny little thing, I just think there's too many of those funny, cutesy little comedy mm. things on the show. It was just a—it's a sensitive time for me to do that, but you know, grudgingly, I did enjoy it. But I wondered whether, like, that might be something. You know, you could get MGF and Wardlow in the in the tag division as well um, for something for them to do for a little while. But I don't hate that. Like, as much as I. And one of the bigger moaners about uh, you know uh, uh, Kenny Omega and you know and being on the back burner this this year. As much as you can be on the back burner when you have you know two near five star matches in a year, uh, but putting him in the tag division as a booking mechanism, um, you know, mm. is is an interesting way of dealing with people who can't who maybe aren't in UL title match right now, but you do want to do something significant with, and yeah, you mm. kind of find them that with Jericho now. And to that point, I mean, that a big highlight of the show was that for me was the that Omega promo um, and the uh, the Hangman Page one as well the, the little sit downs mm. and then again too much talking on the show which meant they didn't really stand out and I'm only even mentioning it now when I'm going through the show as much as I enjoyed it but great execution I am 
a little bit impatient with the story and kind of just want to get to the end at this point. But I can't say, like, you know, even as much as I didn't like that tag match on the, the pay-per-view, I can't say, you know, the individual work of, of an Omega and the individual work of Hangman in this story is by any means bad. Um, I thought they were... That, that was a, a real highlight of the show for me. I just, yeah, I think the big thing for me is just, let's get there now. Let's uh, let's get to the big Omega 10 or whatever the big angle is going to be. And I presume, you know, that's the that's going to be a big singles match, isn't it, for full gear? Uh, it's going to be them two against each other. Uh, and it's probably going to lead to, you know, 2021 being the, uh, the year of Kenny Omega, you would hope. Uh, in AEW and we finally get there but yeah some some definite promising signs uh, for me there in, uh, in those little segments too yeah, I was just going to say, I also enjoyed uh, Angelico uh, just getting treated like the absolute jobber that he is, which I know, uh, <laughs> yeah. Joe, I know Joe would have thoroughly enjoyed if he was yeah. uh, if he was if he was here as well. You know, just uh, not even getting an entrance and then just getting absolutely destroyed. Fantastic stuff. Please <laughs> yeah. You love to see it. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's one of them. And Ian Helico, he, he conned us all on Lucha Underground. He did one big dive, and we all just we all we all agreed as a community he was good. Uh, and then anyone. Who went to a Brit Red show that saw him on kind of seen that come unstuck, really. He was uh, Mr. Two and a Half Stars, as uh, kind of uh, his reputation uh, on shows over here. Yeah, and, and the other thing that I, I liked as well was just, you know, seeing that announcement that it was going to be Thunder Rosa and Ivelisse for the NWA title as well, which I was pleased to see that, like, Thunder Rosa is going to be sticking around as well. And, um, mm. um, you know, again, I was talking last week about, you know, wanting to see her in Shida. Um, have more further down the line so again if, if if this is you know if this relationship's going to be working longer and we're going to see more of thunder rosa then you know i'm all for that big time awesome. it works for everyone that doesn't it yeah mm-hmm. like like they need a smaller satellite promotion for some of their younger workers to really do some character-based stuff in a tv environment if they're able to recreate recreate because obviously they haven't got dave logano and whatever form it comes to i know there's that team have they launched something on fight billy corgan I think isn't there? There's something. Yeah, it's like NWA and a couple of other promotions doing like weekly pay per views. Yeah. yeah, I can't. I don't know. Well, are they doing Rev Pro numbers? Who knows? Yeah, exactly. I, I, and I, you kind of look at it and you think to yourself, like that's kind of what they need for some of those younger workers. Obviously, the death lurgy doesn't help the situation, but um, <laughs> ultimately, if they're able to go there, work on character. Um, and able to have kind of good short TV matches, because that was always the thing I liked about N- NWA, mm. is the matches were just like, they never overstayed their welcome. They were just like bloody easy to watch. So, mm. um, yeah, look forward to yeah, Thunder Rosa again as well. Yeah, definitely. Really, really yeah. smart pickup uh, as far as yeah. AEW goes. So, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll see where that goes. But uh, moving on, let's uh, talk a little bit more about the uh, the other stuff we've been watching. Um, JP, go on. We'll, we'll not save it for the last five minutes. You want to tell us you've been catching up uh, on some uh, some All Japan, have you? Some, uh, some Champions Carnival? Uh, put you on the spot yeah. here, mate. Put me on the spot for it. You're our All Japan uh, correspondent, JP. Well... It's one of the things I found during lockdown that actually, if I got into watching a particular type of wrestling again, mm. it was classic All Japan. And obviously recently I was on the um, the long and winding Royal Road uh, with WH Park. And, it's, and it kind of piques my interest in current All Japan mm. because, as I said earlier on, they've got an all-native lineup. And it's, it's, it's interesting to kind of like how they 
obviously they they're not they don't have the resources to kind of book and be the promotion that they were in their kind of classic heyday mm. they're very much a promotion that's kind of re it's still in a kind of rebuilding phase and trying to find that perfect foil for miyahara that's really where they are and they've got a number of contenders and they've got more now than they have really at any other point um it's a bit of a weird tournament I will say that I haven't seen anything I'd say is necessarily outstanding from it. There are only six match shows. So there's only two days of it that I've seen. And the night two, I just finished before we started recording. I would say from night two, um, Yuma Ayagi versus Shitaro Shino, who I've mentioned before is the Arsenal fan who likes Metallica. Like <laughs> I, I thought that was, that was really good. And afterwards they were kind of building up to, um, Miyahara possibly versus Ashino as a post-carnival feud. Mm. But it's a weird place at the moment. What are you two laughing at? <laughs> Gareth, what are we laughing at? <laughs> I'm just holding up the shitty ratings for uh, All Japan's Champion Carnival. To <laughs> oh, right, yeah. They're not doing well at all that, on uh, Grapple, JP. That one, yeah, that one of them was the best of them. Now, there has been... A lot of stuff that, if I, my ratings have been two and a half, three star. Hmm. They've been on quite brief two-hour shows. Like, I would say I didn't enjoy Miyahara versus Yoshi Tatsu, And I think Yoshi Tatsu got injured afterwards. Whereas everything else has been basically around a good focus 10 minutes. And um, even the main event today, which is between someone who uh, you wouldn't really care called Jiro who never takes off his jacket during matches and the female fans absolutely seem to love versus Suwama. So it's just a weird mix. And then he pins Suwama, but he upsets. There's been like these kind of big upsets in there that have been thrown in this tournament as well. And obviously it's not the G1. It hasn't got the quality of the G1 and it's only going to hit into gear at the later stages, but I'm kind of invested in where they go. It's like we said about the B block of the G1. You're intrigued because it's the setting stones of what's coming down the line, and that's where you're probably going to be rewarded a lot more. Mm. So if you get the kind of storylines that you're into, then you're like, okay, I'm happy to to kind of put up with this stuff. And that's the position that they're in. But they still, they still for me, have the eternal problem of who is going to be the perfect foil for Miyahara because that would be the thing that kind of draws money. I don't think it's Jake Lee. Nyan Namura is injured. It seems to me that they've got a thing for Zeus in this tournament. There's a good possibly he'd win, and like that's like going back into the past. Ishikawa would be going back into a feud that they've done so many times in terms of the Violent Giants tag team. The one I'd like to see, and like I say, he he had his match with Miyahara really enjoyed as well was Yuma Ayagi, hmm. who did a really good job of selling his knee in all of his night one match and losing to Ishikawa. And then Ashino did the same thing, but in a kind of much more reverse heel way, because there's a few factions there as well. And I would say if you're going to go with someone, go with him. He seems to have a bit of a crowd connection. He's also the head trainer. He's like your guy. So, and they've gone with him losing to Miyahara. If it's all Japan the way that you'd expect it to be, if he won the carnival, he'd obviously lose his title shot straight away. Even though Miyahara isn't champion and the rest of it, it they'll work its way off Suwama at mm. some point but uh, I don't know like I always view it in the prism of Miyahara isn't it he's like the kind of thing that's over it and it's like you've got this amazing star that if it was the US he just would have been poached but because of customer uh, customer company loyalty he's there and he remains there and he's like 
he is the thing that they have that's kind of most valuable. And really, he's I think he's in his early 30s now. So you're getting to the point where what are you going to really do? Like, you kind of need that person there with him because he's not going to be able to do it forever. And if something happens to him, you know, touch wood, it doesn't, then you kind of wonder. But match quality-wise, yeah, there's one match that I'm recommending. The rest, if you don't see, you'll be fine. Yeah, I mean, it's a tough time as well, isn't it? Obviously, I know Lanza over on Voices of Wrestling is trying to do the daily audio for the for all three tournaments going on right now, but to, oh, to break fuck, through yeah. and to get attention, you know, as uh, Gareth has alluded to, to there with Grapple, it's a real bad time uh, for all Japan, especially with the sounds of those cards. Uh, I assume we're not getting a particularly a, a huge amount of ratings on those. Uh, never mind the the, uh, the rating itself, the amount of people uh, engaged in all Japan right now, Gareth. Oh yeah, it's it's a to to be honest, it's a smaller number of people rating it than we've seen for like all Japan shows previously in the year. But again, I wonder if this is like I sometimes wonder if this is like maybe a negative of the app in some way because I there was part of you know for me I was thinking like oh I might watch Champion Carnival. It's not as many days, and you can kind of mm. kill off half of it before the G one even starts and things. And then I was like looking at these ratings on the first night, and it was like. 2.6 and 2.7 and 3 and things and I was thinking hmm. and then I like, looked again at the same at day 2 and it was all very much kind of fallen into this 2.85 and you know 3 and I was thinking yeah not worth it not worth wasting my time if something here um, if something here tops like a, a great rating I'll watch that match but there's uh, again it sort of mm. boils down into these not enough hours in the day but uh, mm. clearly, clearly clearly JP makes those hours when he's out <laughs> on the bus or on a walk and things I don't know how you do it watching matches on your yeah, watching matches on your phone while you're on a walk and stuff. You'd, you'd be amazed as well, and I'm not sure how I'd do it myself. But yeah, <laughs> on the walk primarily. That's where this stuff is being done. You bump it into people on your way through? Or... <laughs> I, I go a very back route to the Oxford City Centre in the morning when I'm going on my way to work now um, mm. and trying to avoid as much of the town centre as possible. So cheeky bit of all Japan to pass the time. <laughs> is it COVID central right now, Oxford? Are you just it's trying to It's what Masao would have wanted. Come on. <laughs> it's what Baba would have wanted. <laughs> Me fucking flying the flag here. <laughs> are you in you're in like the uh, in the fields and stuff, JP, just to avoid the people? I mean I thought thought Oxford was gonna be our saviour for COVID, but uh sounds like it's a bit of a hotspot now. Yeah, I'm sorry about that. Um yeah, the, yeah, the, the vaccine stopping and all the students are back. Ugh. And as I think I told you two before, I, I saw lads in mankinis and dressed up as cheerleaders, and I thought we are fucking doomed. You're going, yeah, it's mm. it's it's not good, and it just feels like it's weird. What if we got to the half term? I'd be surprised without it being kind of all in lockdown again. So. Uh, yeah, Merry Christmas. These are the golden months, this. People can go to wrestling. I saw somebody tweet that. The, the Tories are going to get Christmas cancelled and they're still going to yeah. get posted there next time. That's that's the state of this country right now. Uh, oh. Yeah, I'll be yeah, honest. And they, they voted to break the law tonight as well. International law, by the way. There's freedom. I don't know, whatever it is. Oh. Bananas. I forget. Yeah, but yeah, last um, Saturday I was in Liverpool City Centre and there was like groups of stag dudes out and I was just thinking like, I mean, are you just getting out the way before they bring in the six-person rule or have we just forgotten about COVID? It's, uh, yeah, it's, uh, I think I think your idea, JP, get to the fields, watch some old Japan, yeah. get your grapple ratings going. That's the, uh, that's the way to spend your time at the moment. Um, 
I, I bet you that Silla Black statue is just like an absolute COVID magnet at the moment, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> oh god honestly that's street mate that's matthew street and oof yeah i can imagine that'll be run through um but actually you know what you say tonight i actually did a little bit of my best jp i went uh we were having a chat before the show gareth was telling us about uh making uh, making food what was it spaghetti hoops was it for the kids uh oh yeah it's like dad of the year that i am <laughs> <laughs> meanwhile i'm 36 years old it's o'neill over it, <laughs> i'm 36 years old and at 9 p.m tonight i went to mcdonald's to go and get a McDonald's tea and I got a chicken nugget meal. I didn't get a happy meal though. But while I was there, I did the next thing I'm going to talk about. I had the uh, ROH's TV from this week. Watched the last five minutes while I was uh, waiting for them to bring out my food. So, you know, there you go. You've got to multitask in these these hard times. (laughs) We're often waiting, aren't we? Is it it a good way to watch Ring of Honor? Is there a good way to watch Ring of Honor? You know what? This week, I mean, the best way to watch Ring of Honor will be with some of Gareth's famous spaghetti hoops in front of me. But, you know, this was a a good second. Um, Genuinely. You don't all have that kind of money. (laughs) Actually, you know what? I want to know. What was with the spaghetti hoops, Gareth? Was there like uh, some chicken dippers or something? Or what was the meal? Well, meals are very uh, grandiose <laughs> word, uh, grandiose word. For it, it was, uh, it was uh, some toast and some spaghetti hoops, and there goes, uh, there goes a uh, classic dad tea. Yeah. <laughs> JP knows. Yeah. I I did that. They punish me now, so it has to be like kind of reasonably good um, at this stage. But I'm not going to go into it. Well, like, I think it's like Sarah will spend like an hour and a half cooking some amazing curry or something like that, and then they just like have one mouthful and refuse to eat it or something like that, and then like yeah. and I go bang two and a half minutes, we get hoops in the microwave, bit of toast, there you go, clean plates. Well, I was I was mopping some hoops off the floor, you know. So who's the okay health to one side? Who's the efficient one here? Nice, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's, uh, that's not going to be the thing that sends them over the edge, is it? It probably <laughs> might be the chicken dippers, ironically. <laughs> well, ne- next time I watch some Ring of Honor, this time next week, I'll uh, I'll do that. I'll get some spaghetti hoops uh, on the go on the hob instead. But yeah, I went and got me uh, my six nugget meal and, uh, and sat and watched this thing. And genuinely, like this week's ROH TV, highly recommend it to people. Um, very, I mean, we're going to talk a little bit about RevPro in a minute and their show being very sports-based. This was like... I mean, okay, elephant in the room. The pure title tournament is Marty Scale's idea, and he's conspicuous by his absence. Um, and as is the news of what ROH are actually doing with Marty Scale, um, that is a worry. Um, but unfortunately, as we've seen, there are many big wrestling promotions that are uh, ignoring big issues right now. But as far as an idea goes on paper to do this and do, because basically what they're doing is they brought back the uh, the, the ROH pure. The, the old pure title rules and the the, the finally doing this tournament that the uh, the teased earlier in the year when uh, you know Marty wasn't the uh, the the problem he is right now um, that we all know and people were very excited about his ideas to do retro ROH stuff um, but yeah they they brought it back now to do it and it's actually to be honest that stuff aside the time to do it empty arena wrestling is made for this style and it is made for this pure title and. I, th- I believe ROH have been doing. People might correct me. But I think they've been doing reruns primarily, and this is like their, yeah, their yeah. big, their big comeback. Um, and it's the perfect way to do it. They're going to fill, you know, God knows, probably at least eight weeks worth of TV with this stuff. 
and it was such an easy 50 minute watch like two matches and a load of promos and it was again that sports sport based style where you know mm. they basically had Jay Lethal you know sit down and tell the story of you know when he was originally ROH pure champion all those years ago in 2005 you know you had the, his match was with Dalton Castle so then you got your big Dalton Castle sit down promo Jonathan Gresham was the you know the you know, if you you don't want to say it was Marty, it was uh, Gresham who was the one pushing for the pure uh, title or at least pure title rules to come back. Um, he does a sit down promo um, before his match uh, with Wheeler Utah, um, and that was it. That was the show, and it was so simple and it works so well. And you know, this might sound like nostalgia, but I'm not even nostalgic for the ROH pure title. I always just thought it was a bit of a shit gimmick back in the day. It just you know, ROH was built on being like. The idea was it was where the best technical wrestling was, but to be honest, it was as much not ECW in like the violent stakes, but it was more. It was very much more about the personalities and the storylines than than some would have you believe uh, in those early days. You know the the big CM Punk stories and the you know Samoa Joe being being world champion and yeah having great matches, but being a great presence and personality. Same with uh, with Brian Danielson as well. But the idea back in the day was to you know to have this pure title in the middle of the car where you'd have your technical matches, and it never quite went far for me it was just weird it was just like oh yeah you can only have three rope breaks and there's no punches to the face and there's a, a 20 count on the floor and then aside from that it was they were just matches you know Nigel McGuinness did a decent job of of building the, the pure rules into his matches but it all got a bit samey after a while and once you've seen one match where you know the teasing oh he's gonna run out of rope breaks you've kind of seen them all and I really wasn't a fan back in the day, genuinely. And I was glad when that Nigel Bryan match at Unified in Liverpool, that was the unification of the pure title with the world title. And they just binned it at that point. And I wasn't sad. But nostalgia's a funny thing, isn't it? You know, for something I didn't even enjoy, it's coming back and it's piqued my interest. And I'm going, well, I'll have a look, though. I'll have a see and see what it's like. And at this, I think this was a better execution of the format than they ever did back in the day with it. I think this is what this belt always should have been. I mean, I'm not saying they were ambition rules style matches or anything. Um, you know, especially Jay Lethal and Dalton Castle. Um, you know, they, they got over... You know, they spent a lot of time making sure you knew the rules, you knew, you know, what the rope break was. They, you know, the match was built around uh, a bump to the floor where, you know, there were no rope breaks left, um, so that the two, the two of them basically crashed through, um, so that Utah could break a, a figure four, and they did a good job of that. But other than that, it was a lot of big bumps, and it was, it was really just a match. Um, but they got it over, and it worked. Like I say, in the empty, empty arena, and Gresham and uh, and Utah. I mean, this was. That was your example. That was the match where it was like, this is what the pure title should have been all along all those years back. Gresham is the man for that belt because it purely was. That one was the one where it was just pure technical style. Lots of... Basically, they built an entire 10-minute match around roll-ups, really, and going back and forth and, you know, trying to get position and Gresham sitting in holds and... You know, taking his time, trying to think of like you know, a good transition or a, a good counter, and it, it just felt like a a real technical wrestling match. And when you combine that with mm. the fact that you've got the stakes beforehand, the very realistic sit down promos where you know they're they're talking about you know why winning this tournament means so much to them, and they're treating it like a legitimate sport with the uh, the two blocks that they've got for the tournament and. All in all, it just led to just a really, really easy watch. A great 50-minute show. The commentary was great as well. Um, and yeah, it, it really made me think, you know what? 
as far as empty arena wrestling goes, I didn't think I'd say it, but I'm probably going to be watching this ROH tournament right through now, just because it was. It was such an easy watch. It was such a, a great uh, execution of the concept. And yeah, I would highly recommend people uh, check it out, especially UJP with being a, a big mm. Gresham fan. It seems to me like it's kind of very much almost set up and designed by him. Mm. And it looks like he's got quite a big say there. And obviously he's been heading up the training school there for quite some time as well. And they need a USP, don't mm. they? They need something to make them stand out from everything else. And this is a very crowded marketplace with a lot of stuff that is very, very similar. Mm. And they tried going down what was, frankly, an impact route for quite some time. And if there was a company that either, if it wasn't going to be in existence, just needed an utter reboot, it was them. Mm. And in some ways, pardon the pun, it sounds like they're going getting back to basics. And they're not much seem to overstay their welcome, which is probably mm. like that's part of the key for this as well, isn't it? Yeah, for that And fact. you don't want it just to be sort of mat work and sort of relentless sort of working limbs. The idea of a match built around roll-ups actually sounds quite fun. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And seems different. And you want them to kind of experiment but within the kind of format as well, in order to make this tournament sort of stand out from everybody else. It's how you work the personalities in in order for them to get over as well. But you'd hope they've changed what they're booking. I don't want any sort of beer city bruiser types anywhere <laughs> that, near this fucking thing. That was you? last week's TV, you know, JP? It was like the best of whatever beer city bruisers tag team is called. It was that. That was, that was what we've I gone from to this. I saw some. Did you? Oh yeah, that's the current. Time. If anyone like from this recommendation is rushing out to watch it, you've got to wait. I think it's on fight midweek, but the ROH website still got that show. Yeah, don't don't by mistake throw that on because it is not what this is. Uh, <laughs> but I mean, yeah, from that personality point of view, that's the thing. Like, I, there's nobody who rolls their eyes more at a J J Lethal match in in 2020 than me. And if you're going to get me interested from a personality point in Jay Lethal, okay, it helps that he's doing this promo talking about, you know, Samoa Joe being his mentor in 2005, back when he was originally pure champion and going through his uh, his ROH history. But the fact that you've done that and you've got me into it, you know, a Jay Lethal Dalton Castle match says says everything really. And yeah, it's just it's really back to basic stuff. And yeah, this is this is what really what Ring of Honor should be in a lot of ways, uh, at least for you know in this period. Uh, and yeah, it's not a obviously not a promotion on the on the tip of everyone's tongue at the moment. And I'm sure the uh, the grapple uh, ratings will reflect that, Gareth, as far as their big shows go. Um, but yeah, I would I would push anybody to uh, to give this a try. I think next week is. Um, I think it's Bat Sidell and Delirious. I think that's the uh, the doing the they're going for more of the uh, retro ROH. I don't know if everyone's quite got that uh, nostalgia for Matt Sidell and Delirious. It's now it's not really a match that ever really got past the mid card for me. And yeah, Delirious has kind of killed his rep anyway with being one of the worst bookers um, in modern times. Uh, but yeah, that's on there. And Dave Finley versus Rocky Romero as well, which is a, is a good little guy. I think Rocky Romero, again, has got the ROH history, but also is, is perfect for a tournament like this. Uh, yeah, I don't know if I've talked you into uh, potentially watching this, Gareth. I'm just loving your enthusiasm. Yeah, I don't know if I've seen you so <laughs> animated. You're like, you're, you're like, it's like um, you're coming across like some skaggot who's been off the gear for 15 years, something like that. And then you're just like, the bus just next, mate. Let's go. I've just had a little taste. It's all right. It's just just one time, just one time. So there's nothing more to it, you know. There's yeah. a, I can almost I can almost hear that ROH tracky in your wardrobe. Like, <laughs> Oh, don't worry. 
it'll look all right. You can wear it to town. You'll look great, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> it's coming back. Give him, four, give him four months. He'll be there. ROH stuff. Oh, next time if we record and I come on this Skype call and I am wearing one of my retro 2005 ROH shirts you know you know I'm back <laughs> I still, to be fair I've still got a CM Punk one from 2006 where he looks a bit like Kurt Cobain on it still wear that one from time to time out, out and about you know uh, retro you know it's in with the kids uh, yeah you know what what'll probably happen is three weeks in I'll get bored of it and realise it's not the ROH there that I love back in the day but you know there was enough there for me for now I mean if they brought if they managed I mean, Nigel's out on a WWE. He was he was out on the uh, you know not being used for a while. See, they brought him in. I think that would have been enough for me. That I would be fully converted back to being a, an ROH fan for this tournament. Actually, for a while, I was wondering whether you know, you know, if he's been released by WWE and he doesn't have to take any bumps and he can just roll with aggression, that might have been great. Um, but you know, that aside, I'm like, I'm a, like I say, the, the tournament lineup isn't actually you know. I probably mentioned the most exciting stuff there, but yeah, they've they've done a good job, I think, with a with a limited roster, and yeah, they've created some interest here. So yeah, hopefully, uh, my ROH bot enthusiasm is uh, translated. I'm sure uh, James is listening to this, uh, smiling from here to here. <laughs> I better put it. I better put it on the app then. There we go. Not, so I better... <laughs> That's yeah. what I was fishing for. But yeah, go ahead. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, obviously I was watching that, and yet there's uh, obviously one other show we were going to mention as well though, that you were watching JP I haven't seen the uh, the whole thing yet but uh, Rev Pro's Epic Encounters uh, 2 was uh, was on fight again this weekend um, what, what did you yep. think of it compared to the first show I, to be honest I think just from our chats before we record I think you may be going to be a bit more positive than me I just thought maybe some of the I don't know maybe the, some of the bad the, the Rev Pro production tropes were maybe a little bit more on show on this one uh, it didn't feel as polished as the first show to me um, not that it was bad by any means, but it did start to make me question, you know, the whole, you know, I was someone who said nine ninety nine isn't that much. And I was also someone who said, well, you know, you don't want to go longer than two hours on these things. But I was kind of sat at the end of this one going, okay, now that the novelty's off, is nine ninety nine every week for a two hour show? Or, well, not every week, every, every three weeks or so you know something that's got legs um, I don't know I maybe wasn't as positive coming out of the second show granted I only saw the second hour uh, I don't know where, where did you uh, stand on the second installment of uh, Red Pro's Epic Encounters I agree with the production stuff because, mm. but that's Red Pro yeah In some ways, if not I, I more Red Pro I, this one I, I'm expecting I mean the aesthetic of it kind of suits it because it's so limited and minimal and the fact that the cameras kind of can't really miss the ring, can you? Because mm. there's no space there. Um, I actually thought what I re- what I liked about it and what, what I suppose I enjoyed about it is the fact that it's very storyline focused and it's all storyline and youth. Mm. So in a sense, it feels like the whole thing is the big reboot series. And they're establishing a few things that I think are really interesting. Um, I think that like the way that they're they're kind of working up I'll, I'll be honest i think that that i could see by the end of these series of of uh shows that osprey isn't the champion mm. um i think I, i'm sort of running through it really i think is they're going to be teasing Heloku, and it is going to be Heloku with connor mills and i think there's something there i think ricky knight jr as a kind of the standalone standoffish figure to everyone is clearly who they're betting big on. Mm. And there's real upsides there. 
and I thought the women's tag was fine. I mean, I expect that Giselle Shaw versus it'll probably be Zoe Lucas or Aaliyah James is where they're going, but they're doing stuff. Whereas before they've never done anything. Hmm. And I think there might well be a bit of a novelty for that, that the, the matches themselves are kind of fine. I don't think I went above three and a half and that was two of them. And it was Will Ospreay, um, Callum Newman, which I thought was, you know, it was what you'd expect. It was a showcase sprint with mm. someone who can do a lot of the stuff that Osprey can do, mm. but it was more of a showcase for him to do that stuff as well, showing that this guy is effectively the future version of him. And you can see why they're being incredibly high on him given the age and everything else. So like I went three and a half on that and I went three and a half on the main event, which is very kind of scrappy as well. And there are times you mentioned on the production, like where there's clearly a blown kick and a mm. blown spot and it's quite a bit of that stuff but they're always putting it down to ring rust which is the way to do with it is just sort of own it mm. and just say it's down to ring rust this is what it is and you kind of in its own weird way it kind of adds something to the game it's like a scrappy game of football that is technically not necessarily perfect and polished but you can enjoy it mm. to a degree sort of live well i would say parts of liverpool leads Liverpool defended anyway like kind of add something to the add something to it but it's more that every match kind of had a reason to exist at least mm. and they're giving storylines to people and they're doing the push of Dan Maloney I thought it was fun to see Joel Redmond back which is not a sentence I would have said I was going to ask about that ironically, yeah. <laughs> last year's champion carnival where he was surprisingly good fun and in this it was fine for what it was. I think I went like two and a half stars. Like it was, it was like, but it didn't overstay its welcome. So I suppose that's why I kind of felt more up on it because mm. again, if you're thinking where down the road, they're going to be in a post COVID kind of universe and who they're setting up. I think they're actually setting up a whole group of talents who aren't B Priestley and Will Ospreay, mm. but it's everyone else underneath and it's where they're going to be. And not all of them are going to work but I admire the attempt. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I can see that. And I think, again, I think maybe I was, you know, I rewatched the first show to review it on BWE. And if anything, second time, I probably enjoyed it more. And I knew that the production wasn't perfect, but it was as good a production as I've seen for RevPro. And this show just seemed like a bit of a step back. I mean, even to the point of like, you know, the the opening with Andy Q and, um, you know, I, I, I want to call him Andy Boy Simmons Jr. because that's basically um, what the, the the act is. Uh, I think on commentary, I think you're in for a. I think Rob Lyce is in for. I don't know. It's going to be tough uh, in trying to fill those boots and and do that character. Um, I don't know if it's for me. I think I'd rather he was just a straight commentator with Andy Quilden. But even that at the start, like Andy Quilden stood there in a suit and Rob Lyce is wearing like his best. You know, one of them top man shirts where there's like a pocket where there shouldn't be a pocket and a zip where there shouldn't be a zip, like. He just like he looks so scruffy next to uh, Andy Q in his in his, uh, his his big suit, um, and yeah, I, I just thought the commentary, the level. The, again, this was the first. Again, the first show wasn't perfect from a production point of view, 
But this one, the audio level seemed off. There were post-pass promos you couldn't hear because the music was so loud in the background, which it felt like a production choice compared to last the last episode where, you know, maybe to give it a bit more atmosphere and make up for the empty building, you know, they'd have the, the music running in the background while the wrestlers cut the promos, but the levels were off. Um, yeah, there didn't seem to be as much as an emphasis on the uh, the seconds uh, a ringside, obviously apart from mm-hmm. that, uh, that big, uh, the, the, well, not big, but the, uh, the storyline. Um, there with uh, with Michael Oku and uh, you know it just I don't know just for me it just overall it just the seams came were there a little bit more and it felt like because episode one was episode one they spent a bit more time mm-hmm. in, in post on it I will say you know um, st- st- at least Steph's audio was a little bit louder I think they fixed that in post uh, compared to episode one um, she should be doing the interviews and in, well in the ring yeah it shouldn't be Andy Quilden and we're biased aren't we in, in saying that but you know we Andy are, Quilden's got a lot to do on these shows yeah well the yeah. thing was Andy Quilden like there was a point where you know they had to exp- on commentary as like lead commentator Andy Quilden had to pretend he didn't see something that literally everyone watching the screen could see. Um, it, you know, in the finish of the match with yeah, with Connor Mills pushing RKJ off the top rope because he then had to cut the promo in the in the ring and pretend he he was confused at what happened at the finish. And I think in typical Andy Quilden fashion, he's taken on more than he can probably handle. So yeah, I do see that argument. But I mean, yeah, I'm gonna you know. I will go back in and finish the show because I do like the concept, but I did see the last three matches in full. And yeah, I'd share your ratings as far as Grapple went. Callum, Newman and Osprey went three stars. Um, just a solid, like you said, solid match with, you know, the, the veteran flyer against the young flyer. I thought Osprey was particularly good in there with some really stiff, mean strikes in there. I kind of uh, enjoyed him um, playing the bully character in that match. I thought the women's tag... I gave it three stars, but I don't think it was a good match. It was one of them scrappy... Like I think that mm. the fact that it was a bit messy made it good in a lot of ways. You know, there were a couple of blown spots, including the finish where people... Like the from... main event from the last one. Yeah, yeah. Well, like the main event off this, to be honest, as well, because there was a similar mm. theme there as well. But it was one of those matches where, yeah, even when things weren't quite connecting, it felt like all four of them were in there to hurt each other. And it kind of... <laughs> the mess made for an interesting match. And yeah, again, I'm higher on B Priestley than most, and I'm a big fan of Jamie Hayter as well. Felt like they... Carried the match for for the most part, but you know, Giselle Shaw and Aaliyah James looked fine in there too, apart from those those awkward little moments. Um, but yeah, the main event was the same. I gave that three point two five because that was a match where. Yes, there were little moments where, as you mentioned, where maybe things didn't go perfectly or, you know, spots were slightly off. But it was one of those scrappy, big move indie matches that I was talking to Ian Hamilton at the time while I was watching the show. And it was like, because his review on uh, BatBodyDrop.com is definitely a, a worthwhile read too. But yeah, we were kind of saying, like, if this was in front of a crowd, the crowd would have been going nuts. It was one of those matches where I'm not saying there wasn't a story there because there was. But really, it was built around the big indie spots and, you know, the apron spots and the and the big bumps. And they built it in such a way that you could just imagine, you know, a York Hall or a cockpit crowd going absolutely crazy for it all and maybe mm. would have covered um, some of the flaws for it. But, you know, I did enjoy it. I'm not 100% sold on, the you know, the whole angle post-match, as we, uh, as we just mentioned. Mm. But, you know, it, it it's, it's, it's tickled along nicely, I would say. I would say... 
you know, again, my point at the start about will people continue to pay nine ninety nine for these shows when they can just wait for mm. a Wednesday on Rev Pro on demand, especially now it's very clear these aren't live because well, Osprey's in Japan now, so we know he's not in the country. We know, uh, you know, that you're not pulling the wool over anyone's eyes at this point. Uh, are people going to continue to pay nine ninety nine for them? Um, but I can't say as a reviewer, as somebody watching this, you know, to to review it on this podcast, that I have a bad time watching them. You know, they're, they're relatively easy watches. You know, they they come in at a at a good time, especially for me. You know, jumping in for the for the second half here. Um, and yeah, I still like it as a concept. I just think, yeah, I'd, I'd worry about them slipping into too many of those Rev Pro habits as far as uh, the production goes. Um, and I do worry, yeah, what the uh, what the actual appetite is for uh, for the show uh, going forward. I would say, though, that the uh, pay-per-view model on a kind of monthly basis, but I'd say weekly is very successful, as proven by TNA <laughs> and, their, and their continued existence. So who are we to mock that? And the idea of not seeing reminded me of four, uh, of uh, no Welsh wrestling that mm. I went to with Joe. And they did that same thing. And it was like, we'll have to review the footage. And I was like, where's the camera? That's <laughs> kind of almost creepy by saying that. Um, and... <laughs> and then they ended up going back and having a um, like a battle royal <laughs> between the three, the six people on the card. Mm. Yeah, it's kind <laughs> of just like this. But there you go. <laughs> That's what they need. They have it on fight. They have like those weird shows, don't they? Where it's like British wrestling weekly or something like that. Replace that with uh, with some Welsh wrestling. That's what should be on fight. Yeah. Can I also say actually the opening match I think is worth a good shout as well. JJ Gale versus Mark Haskins. I know oh, you won't have seen it yet, Benno. Mm. But I I think that was good. And I'm not as up on JJ Gale other than I know that he's a contender, but he's never kind of necessarily stood out for me. And I just thought it was good. Although I'd completely forgotten that Mark Haskins was in the Legion of Lords. And I was like, What? It's like it's a fucking weird partnership. But yeah, it's it's fine. I mean, yeah, nothing more I can say about that. <laughs> I went three stars on it, but it was a contenders match. So. <laughs> yeah, those contenders, like I said on BWE, like uh, the matches with dudes in black trunks, aren't they? And like, yeah, they're doing the, the best of five series with Brendan White and Kenneth Halfpenny, who look like, I mean, if the contenders are supposed to be young wrestlers, the two of them look like they were combined age of about 85. <laughs> but I don't but know. best two out of three. Is it going to be like death in Bill and Ted's bogus journey? Just refusing to accept defeat? Maybe. I thought you were going to say they were building to a death match then, because I'd watch that. If, if the fifth match is like a GCW-style death match, maybe I'll, I'll come right back into it. But, yeah. I, I get the idea that there's a you know, little five-minute contender matches where it's a best-love series, but I don't know how many of those I want to watch, but... You know, I'll, I'll go back and I'll watch that that first hour at some point. Uh, the grapple ratings aren't particularly making me excited. Uh, 1.83 for their match and uh, 2.25 for the Gale uh, Haskins match. But, you know, I'll... Uh, I think you need to look. There's a whole rating skew thing going on there. There's, there's something we need to sort out there. If you're yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Couple of protest votes, uh, shall we say, in there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, right, well, yeah, that's that's about it, really, unless there's anything else, uh, anything you want to plug, Gareth, or anything else you want to mention? 
No, just the usual, really. Obviously, download the app, use the app. I think, you know, obviously G1's great time for it, obviously, with all the volume of matches and volume of great matches coming through. So just follow that. If you, sorry, download the app. If you follow us on Twitter at Grapple App, I'll be throughout the G1 just trying to put a few, like, infographics up there of, you know, maybe, you know, the, the top matches of the first five days and then just keeping that going through throughout the tournament. So if you are falling behind or anything like that, you've got that quick, easy reference guide to see what's, uh, what's good, what people are enjoying, and you can go back. And, and, and pick out but um, yeah download the app and, and follow us on Twitter awesome uh, and I would say follow Paul Benno on Twitter because I keep seeing that you're about two or three followers away from 2000 <laughs> yeah. you're getting very close and then I keep I'll just notice another week you're still just like two off it and stuff so if you oh, listen to this and you don't follow Benno give him a follow just nudge him over the two. Oh, thank you mate yeah I'll be honest I'm very vain and I've noticed that like I'll hit like 1999 and then I'll look again and it'll be like back back down to 1990 I'm like again yeah, yeah. 2000 you know what? I think I've found. Though. I think I've found what my what my glass ceiling is. Like uh, like Miro said on Twitter, I think two thousand is uh, is my is glass that your ceiling. Brass ring? I think it is. Yeah, I'm reaching for it, but yeah, I think it's uh, it's imaginary, everyone. But yeah, thank you. Yeah, follow me on Twitter. I've been to Richard Day. There you go. I, I, pro- I promise I don't just see you get to one nine 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 and then like just stop following you from the Grapple <laughs> account and then stop following <laughs> from my own account and things like that. Yeah. I'm, 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 I may start and, and, and then start a trend the other way. I like that thinking. <laughs> Uh, well, we're here, JP. I suppose you've had a, a quieter run uh, this week than normal, but uh, yeah. anything for you? Back, back to work, that's called. Uh, <laughs> in a heightened sense, sense of panic, but I won't go into that. But yeah, I mean, um, I think at the moment I will be sort of planning on doing another round table. Um, it's probably going to be in another couple of weeks' time. Uh, mm. The reason for that being is I'm back to work and I'm a teacher. And I don't think I need to say anything more other than that. Um but yeah, otherwise you can follow me on Twitter at JPGP. And I would say as well, uh, if you haven't joined the Grapple Fantasy Leagues, we mentioned earlier on, you might want to join that, um, uh, put the code up. Um, I'd also say as well, it's always a good laugh you're doing the G1 to do the pickums as oh, well. Man. Adds a little bit of unnecessary drama, like into your lives trying to out-ghetto ghetto. So yeah, do that. It's, it's always good for a laugh. There you go. I'll make Grapple Ghetto. And yes, that will be the title of this episode. (laughs) So yeah, like I say, Post and and Voice of Wrestling have both got uh, great pickums up there. So uh, either or, or both, if you're me and you want to cheat and try and win one uh, out of the two, do that too. Akada and Sonata, you can have both, can't you? That's it. Like David Lopan and two girls with green eyes. (laughs) And if you're like me and you want to put Yudro through to the final, you know, you can do that too. Uh, But yeah, we'll obviously be back Uh, again. It's the kickoff this weekend of... uh, of the not the long summer, the long autumn, I suppose it is for G One. So we'll be back on uh, next Monday night with Steph running through the uh, the first weekend of G One. So yeah, you've all got that look to look forward to. Follow us all on Twitter, especially me. Help me hit those two thousand, and yeah, get all your ratings in on Grapple. But uh, yeah, that's it for us for another show. We'll see you again next Monday night. Bye. See ya. But he had to do it his own.